Live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything going on in the world of sports. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome to an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He's the co-host. Wait for it. Wait for it. His name is Padawan J. Let me talk to you. Yeah. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Yes, we do. We have a lot to talk about in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, plus sports and pro wrestling. This is a fusion edition of the show because there is a lot going on, and when Mother Nature decides to throw us that curveball, we have to adapt. It's now the, we're not even in the third week of the year. You know, keep behind the curtain, we're recording this on January 17th. So we're just a couple days shy of the start of the third week of the year. We've already had two, I'll, I'll use air quotes, major Snowstorms now, it's not anything necessarily as bad as what they saw up in Buffalo this past weekend, Mm -hmm. but it's enough to be a nuisance. I'm already over it. Not going to lie. See, I don't mind snow unless I have to drive in and it kind of throws a little curveball on the plans, and especially Mm -hmm. with how much content we have been producing between here and Nerd Initiative. Shout out to everybody there. It does kind of make the schedule a little tight. So when we have, you know, road delays, so to speak, Mm -hmm. and, and treacherous weather, we have to adjust the schedule. So Snowing for 14 hours straight. Right. So we have to adapt on the fly, and that's what you're getting here, a fusion edition of the show. But fear not. We do have another episode dropping shortly after this one comes out with a good friend of the show, Michael Basudel from the Massiverse. Say, I know that guy. Yep. He came by and uh, had a lot of information to tell us about the big year they have in the land of comics. So that'll be coming out shortly after this episode. But we have to get through this one first. But, Pat, where does everybody go to find out? ODPHpodcast.com. Right on. You swing on over the website. You drop the subscribes, the follows, the likes, the shares. It's all in the directory, which has how many providers, Pat? Uh, 117,000. Sounds about right to me. Also, while you're there, sign up for all the social media accounts. We have been active on a lot of the new sites like Threads and Blue Sky, getting a lot of followers there, which we do appreciate having those conversations with everybody. The T Public Store link, there's always something going on there. Always. And then the Patreon link, one tier, $2 a month. You can support the show that way and get some bonus content, too. Not sure what we're going to do this month, but we'll do something fun. We always do. Mm-hmm. Also, the blog section, the classifieds, which has friends of the show, such as Nerd Initiative, like we talked about. 3FN Podcast just celebrated their 300th episode. Wow, good for them. Yeah, exactly. So shout out to the birthday boy himself, Rich, yeah. Ron, and Diesel for doing 300 Maximum Overdrive. Great episode if you haven't checked it out there, but that's why we have the player right there so you can listen to the show right there. Boom. It's so easy. Also, Dragon Master Games. So many other great friends of the show there. You can find their links and go support them right there on that page as well. And if you want to talk about supporting some uh, friends of the show, definitely check out the music section. A lot of new stuff is coming from some of our favorite artists like Brian Wolf and the Howlers. Floodlands, Second Suitor, Shout the Robots is back in business. Love seeing new music coming from those guys. Also, Tom Jolu. I mean, the list goes on and on. Basically, it's anything and everything that is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. And if you're using hashtags on the socials, remember to use the hashtag ODPHpod. But let's kick this episode off the only way we can. We have to recap a wild weekend. Yeah. Pun intended. In the NFL, wildcard weekend came and went. So, Pad, let's recap it. 
Yeah, so as we do typically in years past, we're going to go in the order these games were played. Mm-hmm. Uh, so starting off, the first game was on Saturday, uh, 4.30 p.m. Eastern on NBC, uh, and that was the Houston Texans taking on the Cleveland Browns, and the Houston won by the final score of 45-14. to <laughs> C.J. Stroud, 16 of 21, 274 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Joe Flacco, 34 of 46 for 307 yards passing, one touchdown, two interceptions. Kareem Hunt led the way for Cleveland in rushing with with eight carries, 26 yards, just one touchdown. Devin Singletary led the way for Houston with 13 carries, 66 yards, with just one touchdown. Uh, Nico Collins led the way for Houston in receiving with six catches, 96 yards, one touchdown. Uh, and it was David Njoku leading the way for Cleveland with seven catches, 93 yards, and no touchdowns. Well, a couple different stories going on with this game. Uh, CJ Stroud is him. Yeah, rookie. He Simple, rookie of the year. Uh-huh. You can't say otherwise. Yeah. Sorry, he's got that locked up. Performances like this, if you're a Houston fan, you have to be so excited about the future. Mm-hmm. Granted, whatever happens next week, it doesn't matter. If they take an L, it's season's still a win. Absolutely. And considering you're in what a lot of people considered a rebuilding year, uh, 10 wins and making it into the playoffs and into the divisional round is overachieving. Oh, absolutely. So they are literally playing with house money. They have nothing to lose, nothing to fear. I love the bravado of Stroud. Mm-hmm. He is just going out there and balling. And to take it to a Cleveland defense, which has literally been the sole reason they're in the playoffs. Well, that and Joe Flacco finding the fountain of youth. Well, Joe Flacco has been doing decently. Yeah. But the one thing that we always say is the biggest band-aid of it all is winning. Yes. He has not had great games. Right. He's had good games. Right. And he's gotten by with that defense bailing him out a few times. It didn't happen this Mm go-around. And the thing is, for him throwing 300 yards and having one touchdown is a little deceiving. Yeah. Two interceptions is the one thing that took me, you know, right out of the equation here, so to speak. Well, and the O-line failing him a little bit there, uh, four sacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Houston came out, and they jumped out to an early lead, and they never let up the pressure. Boy, I wonder if the uh, the Jets are regretting letting Joe Flacco go. Oh, I think so. <laughs> I think considering how their season went without Aaron Rodgers in the lineup, I think they're regretting a lot. Yeah, I mean, considering the fact that Flacco only played, what is it, one, two, three, four, five games in the regular season and one game in the postseason, so six games effectively this year. Coming mm-hmm. off his couch watching Netflix and, you know, whatever else. Uh, his lowest passing yard total for the season was 254. Yeah, that's not fucking bad if that's your lowest. No, it's definitely not in Cleveland. I don't say they have a quarterback controversy. I will. I will. You got a quarterback controversy, but you have to take a look at what you had with him. And then with Deshaun Watson, who Uh has a guaranteed contract, you're now a full season into this because you got to remember he missed the first half of last last season and then he missed. Uh, you know, the second half of this season. So he's played a full season effectively. We'll just say for simple, uh, simplifying everything. Right. Has he really delivered for you? No. You know, you, know, you, you look at, obviously last season was a wash because we knew they weren't going to get far. Right. But then you come into this season where they were kind of on the outs and Flacco and the defense had to will this team into the playoffs. You know, considering the fact that you're, pl- you're paying Deshaun Watson that albatross of a contract. Uh-huh. You know, are you getting what you paid for? I mean, that's ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of the day when you buy a car, when you buy a video game. You know, are you going to get your money's worth out of this? And I'd say for Cleveland fans right now, no. No, at the time, I understand why they'd made the move. I mean, granted, they overpaid. We've we, oh. we've never shied away from saying that. Yeah, they did. 
So now they have to really take a look at this offseason and what they're going to do. Because Flacco, I mean, he played well. Oh, yeah. Wasn't great, yeah. but he played adequately enough. Yeah. Especially without Nick Chubb to bail him out in the running game. Right. I mean, Kareem Hunt did okay. Yeah. But I, but the production level, I mean, in my opinion, fell off. So Get some O-line help, maybe a couple other receivers in there. Because Njoku's good, and Amari Cooper's not bad. But then once you get past that, it's kind of a, what have you done for me lately? Well, that's a question mark that Cleveland's going to have. But the it, Defense it, is fine. Defense is fine. They just they had no answer for C.J. Stroud, so that yeah. they might have to address a couple players here and oh, there. Oh, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, I mean, this the big win here and the big story is C.J. Stroud. Mm-hmm. You know, first playoff game, really made a statement win. Yeah. Albeit, though, I don't think he's going to have the same success next week. Probably not. Uh, he's got the unfortunate matchup of playing Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, we're currently, as we record, it is Baltimore favored by nine. Yeah, Baltimore I don't think is going to be uh, an easy task for him. It's not going to be easy. Their defense I know is going to gear in on his weaknesses, and it's going to be a true test. So if he does pull it out, he's writing this storybook story right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, storybook fairy tale, I should say. Yeah. But if he doesn't, hey, it's a great season nevertheless. Yep. Uh, then the other game on Saturday took place at 8 o'clock on Peacock, which everybody saw was the most watched game of all history. Don't look that fact up. Just just <laughs> trust me. Out, just trust me, bro. Statistician to the stars, folks. Uh, you had the Kansas City Chiefs take on the Miami Dolphins in balmy, warm uh, Kansas City. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, because everyone and their mother froze their ass off mm-hmm. uh, in what what was it? It was like the third or fourth coldest game third in NFL. Game. In NFL history, yeah, it was cold. Uh, But Kansas City emerged victorious, winning by the final score of 26-7. to Patrick Mahomes, 23-41 of for 262 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Tua Tagovailoa, 20-39 of for 199 yards passing, one touchdown, just one interception. Uh, Raheem Mostert, eight carries, 33 yards, no touchdowns. Isaiah Pacheo uh, led the way for Kansas City with, good Lord, 24 carries, 89 yards, one touchdown. Uh, And it was Rasheed Rice leading the way for Kansas City with eight carries catches 130 yards receiving one touchdown and Tyree kill leading the way for Miami with five catches 62 yards and just one touchdown well the takeaways here Miami is who we thought they were uh-huh for being the team that had the high-powered offense put up 70 on the Denver Broncos yep really struggled against a Kansas City team that is not known for their defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, Steve Spagnola is a great defensive coordinator. Might uh-huh. be the best in the game right now. Might oh. be. Oh, yeah. But when you have the weapons that they do, uh-huh. there is no excuse for putting up seven here against a Kansas City team that, I mean, granted, Kansas City at home, we always say oh, there's yeah. something yeah. You know, yeah. special there. Quote home, unquote. home cooking. Yeah, there's something about them that makes them very tough to beat at home. But in this situation, Tua needed to play better. He didn't. I would have run the ball a few more times. Oh, I think so, too. Eight. So I mentioned Raheem Oster had the eight carries. Uh, Tua had three carries. Jalen Waddell had one. And Devon Akane had six. Uh, so you couple those three together with Moster's eight. Uh, you had a team total of 18 carries, mm-hmm. which is not a lot. I mean, granted, Kansas City had 34 24 of them were from Pacheco himself, but still there's another 10 between the other three guys. Yeah, this was a situation that they just were not ready for the climate they walked into. Maybe, maybe Miami should have swag surfed a little bit. They should have done something. I mean, yeah, that video is going crazy right now. I guarantee you that will not be played up in Buffalo unless they're trying to do some trash talk this week. Uh, could be. Just don't ask Peter Rosenberg about swag surf. Yes. Yeah, don't. Don't. 
it's not worth it. Um, but in this situation, though, Kansas City did what a seasoned veteran team yeah, does yeah. in the playoffs. Yeah. So well, and the other thing for Miami that's concerning too is obviously the weather played a factor into this game. Sure. You know because they had you know what was it uh, Rodney Harrison. Uh, Tony Dungy, and then the other—I forget who the other person was—with them on on the sidelines for like their pregame show, and they talked about like how frozen the field was and how cold it is, and that, like this wasn't something that swooped in overnight and like came out of left field, you know. The Pat McAfee show had Jim Cantori on their sh- on their Friday talking about how cold this was going to be, like it was known days in advance how cold this was going to be and the wind and everything else. So, like, I feel like Miami should have gone in with a better game plan than just, hey, we're going to air it out fucking 900 times. And shit, Tyreek's down there somewhere. You know, because I feel like if they'd, if they'd have come up with a better game plan, because clearly they didn't, only seven points, and that was in the second quarter, they might have made this one at least a little more competitive. It would have been a little more competitive, but I think the problem is Spagnola shut that running game down quick. Yeah, that does play a factor. That's something. I mean, you have to think about Mostert and a chain was in – this game like mm-hmm. they were healthy and involved yeah but when a chain only gets six carries nine yards yeah and Mostert eight carries 33 yeah I mean it, it really threw a curveball and everything and I just think it was the pressure getting to Tua a little bit and when you take Tyreek Hill out of the equation because let's face it five catches 62 yards is not a bad stat line no it's not Tyreek Hill level but it, anybody else it's not bad right but then looking at the rest of that receiving core, yeah, and especially Jalen Waddle. I mean, if you're healthy, you're on the field. So yeah, I understand yeah. that he was you know coming back from injury, but still. I mean, at the same token, though, it's also the Kansas City uh, defense where if you want to stop Kansas City's offense, stop uh, Travis Kelsey, mm-hmm. and you'll be fine. Yeah, you know, stop Tyreek Hill, force the other guys to step up, and the, to a, to a larger degree, Kansas City did. They shut down Tyreek Hill because, yeah, six and for 52 is not a bad stat line. Like I said, though, it's not Tyreek Hill quality. Yeah. You know, it's just the other guys from Miami didn't step up. They didn't step up, and that's the whole thing right now is this team was really uh, resting on the fact that Tua has been able to air the ball all over the place. Yeah. You can't do that in the sub freezing weather. Eventually, the tank runs on empty. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry, you just you can't do it in this yeah. situation for Miami. You, I, I heard this on a couple social media and in, in sports sites, too, and I, I want to get your opinion about this. Okay. Is Tua's coming into the last year of his contract? Yeah. Do you re-up him or do you let him go? Uh, I, I, You know what? I'd re-up him. He's been decent. You know, I, I don't see anybody else out there right now either entering the draft this year or potentially entering the draft, say, the year after that I'm like, you know what? He might be better. I, you know, I wouldn't give him, like, a super mega contract. I'd re-up him for something decent, though. I think it'd be smart to re-up him. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't give him a long-term deal. No, but I think, and I and I wouldn't give him like a Patrick Mahomes deal. Oh, absolutely not. Unfortunately, you can't. Some something middle of the road. It's great that he came back from the hip injury he had in Alabama. Yeah, like don't get me wrong. And for the egregiousness that happened to him last season, shout out Fitzmagic. Yeah, I mean let's let's be honest about that. For yeah. all the concussions he unfortunately suffered last year. Yeah, to see him back on the field, that's the biggest win of all. I hope he does get the bag. I'm not telling him not to. Right. You know, by all means. Like, right. I, and, I, right. I, and I'm not, and I'm taking my Bills fandom out of this. Sure. The fact that he's healthy and still playing football is the biggest win of all, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to see him do that. Absolutely. I would like to see him get paid, but I just don't think if he's in the current system that they have set up in Miami, I just don't know if he's the guy. Yeah. I think he could prosper somewhere else. Yeah. If you want to ask me, I mean, you can honestly throw him to a handful of other teams. Oh, yeah. 
I honestly, I think he'd do great in Pittsburgh. To be honest, Atlanta with wouldn't be bad. Atlanta would not be bad for him. Arizona would not be bad. I mean, Kyler Murray, you just don't know what you're going to get out of him every year. Yeah, it depends on what Call of Duty's doing. Exactly. So, I mean, there there are some landing spots for him if they wanted to go. Yeah. And I think he has to do his best for him. And I just don't think he's going to get there with the current setup that they have in Miami. But it's going to be an off-season question we're going to have to watch. But Kansas City has a date uh, next Saturday or mm-hmm. Sunday that uh, we'll talk about a little later. Uh, yeah, so then we're moving into the Sunday games, which this one took place uh 4.30 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, where you had the Green Bay Packers taking on the Dallas Cowboys. And the Green Bay Packers emerged victorious, winning by the final score of 48-32. to uh, Jordan Love, 16-21 for 272 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Dak Prescott, 41 of 60 for 403 yards, three touchdowns, two interceptions. Tony Pollard led the way in Dallas uh, for rushing with 15 carries, 56 yards, just one touchdown. Aaron Jones led the way in uh, Green Bay for Green Bay with 21 carries, 118 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, oh, by the way, it was a little bit of a homecoming for him if you did not watch the game because he's from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Green Bay in receiving, it was Romeo Dobbs, six catches, 151 yards receiving, one touchdown, and for Dallas, it was C.D. Lamb, although admittedly it took until the fucking second half to happen. Yeah. Uh, nine catches, 110 yards, and no touchdowns. Well, the story of this one is all Green Bay needed was love. Can you believe that, but, but depending on how things play out, Green Bay will be on its third consecutive franchise quarterback in like three decades? It's amazing. It's fucking insane. I mean, we talk about things you'll never see in the NFL again. I, I Depending on what, who's running the, the Packers organization when Jordan Love gets to the end of his contract right. and, and such, I don't think you're going to see a run like this. This is insane. Honestly, I, I don't think you're going to see it again. I mean, they might strike lot, lightning in a bottle four times, but to see what they found with Jordan Love, and they did the smart thing too, which uh-huh. I would love to see more teams do. But with the current structure of the business side of things, I understand why they don't, but I don't agree with it. I want to make this very clear. Jordan Love sat behind Aaron Rodgers first. Uh, well, that's because he was sitting behind a future Hall of Fame quarterback who right. also sat because he was sitting behind a future Hall of, well, well, not a future. He, he was sit, At the time, he was sitting behind a future Hall of Fame quarterback. Right. But they let him sit and learn. Right. But you don't have that with other teams. I mean, that's you. You hear that argument though. Come every draft, where it's like, oh, it, well, if they get drafted here, will they sit? Will they start? And most teams, they have to start immediately. Well, that's a situation that Green Bay has lucked into, right? But it's a situation that if you know your team is not going to make a run at the playoffs, let them sit. I understand about getting some reps in, sure. But the more that he's allowed to pick up a speed of a game, I think that only helps your quarterback. Sure. Because by season three, that's why I say is the benchmark, that's when you have the speed of the NFL fully mastered. Right. Because it's a whole different game than college. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think that with Jordan Love, what he's done this year, and especially, too, the Packers jumped out 27-7 to with some key interceptions on Dak, Oof. who played awful, even with 400 yards and three touchdowns. Yeah. Those two interceptions came back and resulted in points for Green Bay. Uh-huh. Dak also got sacked four times, and there was a – he only had two interceptions. It should have been a third. Mm-hmm. But it's a situation that for Dallas, who is a very well-rounded team. Uh, undefeated at home. The the stats they were putting up at home on offense or whatever the hell it was was like the best for the team since the 60s. Mm-hmm. I, I turned the game on, you know, 
when it got time when my was watched with my fiance and when the game started you know she's like oh who do you think is gonna win and i said well it should i go it's the playoffs you never really know who's gonna win you know because weird stuff happens i go but on paper it should be dallas for everything i just said Mm -hmm. you know undefeated at home all the points all this all that i go dallas is finally looking like the team that they their fans always claim they are that it's their year. They're going to win the Super Bowl. They're going to make a run. This that, and the other. I'm like, they're finally looking pretty goddamn good. Yeah. And then they come out and lay the biggest goose egg of all in that first half. And then they just never recovered. They almost did, though. Well, well yeah, garbage time. Granted, but you know what? That's the only thing that kind of worries me a little bit about Green Bay. Okay. That they still had the big lead, but Dallas was coming back on them. Yeah. Now, granted, they just too little too late. Well, it's because whatever they were doing with C.D. Lamb in the first half, you know, they stopped. Yeah. Because I, if I, if memory serves, C.D. Lamb had like two or three targets. I forget what it was in the first half, but no catches. Mm-hmm. He didn't get his first catch of the entire game until like a couple minutes into the second half. Yeah. It's a situation that... Green Bay tried mixing up some things, yeah. and it came back to haunt they, them. They tried overcomplicating it. And the I will tell you this right now. I don't think they're going to have the same luck next week. Now, Not unless something weird happens. I could be proved wrong because, obviously, we know Green Bay and, and San Francisco have a unique history <laughs> oh, yeah, as do. of late. Yeah, they do. But it's going to be a situation that with San Francisco having everybody fully rested, uh-huh. which is sorely needed for that team, and being the number one seed, Green Bay has its work cut out for them. Much like in the same vein as C.J. Stroud. Green Bay, if they lose this game next week, mm-hmm. it's still a win. Oh, absolutely. This this was a lot of Green If you talk to a lot of Green Bay fans, going into this season was a rebuild year. Oh, yeah. And they're in the same boat as Houston. You fucking tell me you're in a rebuild year. You still managed out nine wins, and you're in the playoffs, and you're in the second round of the playoffs? Yeah. Fucking good for you. Exactly. So it's a huge win for them. Jordan Love has a lot of confidence building uh-huh. And that can only help this team. Mm-hmm. There's there's still a few pieces away, I think, from really making a run. Yeah, but I will say this: if they pull off the upset against San Francisco, I would be shocked. Watch them find because that's you, you alluded to it. That's been Green Bay's Achilles heel the last you know decade or so. Was yeah. Aaron Rodgers could never beat San Francisco, even when the game was in Green Bay. Yeah, could never beat San Francisco. And 49ers fans, I'm not trying to rain on your parade, and I'm not trying to shit on you. Just watch this be the year the Green Bay finally gets past San Francisco, and it's because Aaron Rodgers isn't there. It'd be insane. It'd be absolutely insane. But we'll have to wait to see what happens there. And yeah. in Dallas, I mean, the only questions you have now is Mike Get McCarthy. Get rid of everybody. Yeah, Mike McCarthy, I think, has got to be gone. McCarthy's got to go. The defensive coordinator's got to go. Dan Quinn. Dan Qu- yeah, Dan Quinn's got to go. Uh, and well, listen, I know a lot of Cowboys fans are saying uh, certain former New England Patriot head coach Bill Belichick. He's not going there. He's not. You and I both agree he's not going there. Oh. And, and and there might be some Cowboys fans listening to us in the car who might have done an accident. Hey, easy there. Sorry, Dre. You know, keep keep your hands on ten and two and watch watch the road. But for as much sense as that makes on paper, you look at how Belichick operates behind the scenes and how much in control he wants to be in the personnel side of things, and I'm talking coaches and players, and then you think of how in control Jerry Jones is, that is water and oil, and that don't mix. It's a recipe for disaster. Uh huh. I, I fully agree with you. Bill, Bill Belichick wants to be in control of the, who they draft, when they draft them, and, and who they take on offensive coordinator. 
and and every other you know coaching position in the team and Jerry Jones wants to do the exact same thing. So it's one of those situations where you think you and, a, and another person might be good in a relationship together until you actually try playing it out in the relationship and it doesn't work out. Yeah, this is a situation that for Dallas, I mean, if they kept, there's there's better candidates. Yeah, I mean, I think McCarthy's time is up though, but it's a situation of who you got out there. I tell you this: if Washington is asinine and doesn't give Bienemy the head coaching job, boom! There oh, you. that'd be brilliant. There you go. It'd be brilliant to do because your defense is solid. Yeah, but you gotta get that offense re- yeah. retooled. And if Dak's the guy, which he should be, I I don't fault this so much on Dak mm-hmm. as just. McCarthy needed to do something to switch the momentum up. And I'm sorry, McCarthy has to go because you had Kellen Moore there last season as your offensive coordinator, and, mm-hmm. the, and then you fired Kellen Moore because, oh, McCarthy can do a better job. He's going to do all the play calling. Yep, that, 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 and then you fucking come out in this performance? Yeah, against the Green Bay the rest, The sucks. rest of the season notwithstanding because, yes, it was a great season. Yes, it was great statistically. You know who else had a great season statistically? The 2007 New England Patriots. What are they remembered for? Losing in the Super Bowl. Indeed. Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys fans are obviously going to remember this season for, you know, oh, we were 16-0 and in the regular season at home or whatever the fuck it is. You know, and all the statistics they put up, the vast majority of fans, you and I, you know, Coach Duffy and everybody else, what are we going to remember about the Dallas Cowboys from the season? They lost to the Green Bay Packers at home. The Green Bay Packers have more wins in AT&T Stadium in the playoffs than the Cowboys do. Yeah. As we always say in wrestling, everybody remembers the finish. Nobody remembers the match. Exactly. And that's what you have here. So for Green Bay, they move on to a very tough task next week. Mm-hmm. But it, hypothetically saying they win. Yeah. And then the team we're going to talk about next, if they can pull off another win. Good Lord. Could you imagine the drama in the NFC Championship? There was drama for this game as well, too, though. Oh, yeah, there was. Let's talk about it. Yeah, so this was the uh, final game on Sunday where you had the Detroit Lions taking on the Los Angeles Rams in Detroit for the first home playoff game since, like, the 1990s, whatever the hell it was. Uh, Detroit pulled off the win, uh, but winning by the final score of 24-23. to Jared Goff, 22-27 for 277 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. Matthew Stafford making his return to Detroit for the first time since being traded away. Uh, 25-36, 367 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Kyron Williams led the way for Los Angeles in rushing, 13 carries, 61 yards, no touchdowns. David Montgomery led the way for Detroit with 14 carries, 57 yards, just one touchdown. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown led the way for Detroit in receiving with seven catches, 102. 10 yards, no touchdowns. And then for Los Angeles, it was Puka Nakua with nine catches, 181 yards receiving, and just one touchdown. Well, this was arguably the most entertaining game of the weekend. Uh Uh-huh. And the drama was there. Matthew Stafford returning to Detroit in the playoffs, the team that he had been loyal to for many, many years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He was traded away for Jared Goff. He led the Rams to a Super Bowl. Uh Detroit has found new life under Dan Campbell, who, in my opinion, is Coach of the Year. I'm just going to put that out there. It's up there. And what they did here was just a slugfest. Oh, my God. And this was a situation that Detroit was lucky they won Mm -hmm. because there was a pass interference call that should have happened that Mm -hmm. did not happen late, Mm -hmm. that if that did happen, the Rams were going to kick a field goal and win the game. Mm -hmm. But I take nothing away from Detroit. This was all emotion in this game. Jared Goff played very, very smart. Mm-hmm. And to match up against Stafford, who really showed me he the Rams are still a real deal in this league. Mm-hmm. 
And I was very impressed with what I saw him and Puka linking up multiple times. That's the one thing that worries me for Detroit. Right. Their secondary oh. is very suspect. I mean, because you, you take out Puka Nakua, you know, which, listen, the Rams, you know, for as down a year as they had, and everyone was ready to count them out because, oh, their time has passed. They had a short window, and it's already close. The Rams are actually in a not-so-bad place, if if you think about it. Yeah. You know, the only thing they might have to look at is run game. You know, 61 yards, yeah, not the best. But then you, you look at the receiving core. Puka Nakua, who took the bulk of the reps this year because Cooper Cup was hurt for most of this year. But you you got Puka Nakua, you got Cooper Cup, which should come back on a healthy year next year. They're looking pretty good, you know, and, and they were scrappy at the end of the season. But, I, no, I agree with you. That's the concerning thing for me with Detroit. Detroit is scrappy. Detroit will play knockdown, drag out 80s football, you know, and isn't going to win sexy. And they're not going to be running hook and laterals and Statue of Liberty plays, you know, a la Boise State, Oklahoma. But they'll smash mouth football and they'll win. But they're going to have to go up against a team this upcoming weekend that, you know, is also scrappy. And, and we'll see what happens. I love the fact we live in a day and age where Detroit and Tampa Bay is going to go into the NFC Championship game. Yeah. One way or another, one of those teams is going. Yeah. Hey, listen, did anybody have a better week than anyone in the state of Michigan last week? No. No. No, I will say this. Detroit came out. It was an emotional win. You had, you had Eminem cutting promos on both the Rams and the Lions. Yeah, which... There's now the meme going around, and I'm I'm kind of on board with this. If Buffalo can't do it, mm-hmm. it has to be Detroit and Kansas City in the Super Bowl. That would be wild because Detroit for or, uh, Eminem versus Taylor, Taylor Swift. Swift. Yeah, I'm just saying the I I, I would just hope that the uh, Swifties the the Swifties would be ready for the diss track. I mean, listen, I I already saw some Swifties going out going after the way Eminem was shown. On the broadcast. And that was a foolish idea by them. It's a good thing we're dealing with 2024 Eminem and not 1999 Eminem because it'd be over. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to say this very quickly. <laughs> we saw what happened with MGK. Uh-huh. He still got it. Yeah, he does. And I'm just saying, if, if it comes out of Detroit, I think I think you might see him come back out for that. Yeah. I'm just saying. But Eminem might put in a request to Usher to do the halftime show. Yeah, we, we might have something happen at halftime, I'm just saying. But I don't if, think they've done a song together, but they might come up with one real quick. It'll be very quick on the fly. But that's the, the type of emotion that's getting sparked from this game. I mean, yeah. All, all kidding aside, Detroit had been long overdue 30 years since they had a playoff victory. It, it was them and the Miami Dolphins who had not won – a playoff game this century. Yeah. Now it's only the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. So Detroit wins gritty. Like I say, the performance is shown on both sides of the ball. I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, what can you say about him? Oh. You know, they could not have a better leader. Fucking, even Taylor Lautner was at this game, I saw. Yeah. You, know, you, can't, you can't have, like, more support going into Detroit. Like, they, I think they have won the nation's support. Yeah. Because everybody Shit, wants they to got see, mine. Yeah, everyone wants to see them win, except unless your team's still in the game. Right. But they showed just such grit and heart, and this is what Dan Campbell's done. We we often refer to about creating culture mm-hmm. and establishing culture. Mm-hmm. The mindset is we can beat anybody, and yeah. that's what you need from your football team. And, yeah. and I tell you what, I understand why these players are playing so hard for them. Mm-hmm. They're going to have a tough task next week against, oh, yeah. uh, well, we'll get to their opponent in just a little bit. But I'm going to tell you this, Detroit is making up for a lot of the tools that they're missing mm-hmm. with just sheer heart. Mm-hmm. And that is the scariest thing to be facing as an opponent. One thing I want to mention before I forget, because I mentioned Miami. Uh, Miami only had uh, one win against a team over 500 this year. You know who had more than them? 
Detroit? No, the Patriots. Oh, throw throw more salt in the wound, why don't you, Pat? Yeah, I have to do something. Uh, then we get to the Monday games. Uh, and the first one that took place on uh, Monday, 4.30 p.m. Eastern. It was supposed to be Sunday uh, at 1 o'clock Eastern, but, hey, Mother Nature decided to come in and dump two and a half, three feet of snow up in Buffalo. Uh, so the game got moved to Monday, and you had the Buffalo Bills taking on the Pittsburgh Steelers, where the Buffalo Bills emerged victorious by a final score of 31-17. to 17. Uh, Josh Allen, 21-30 for 203 yards passing, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Mason Rudolph, 22-39 for... 22 or 39 for 229 yards passing two touchdowns one interception Jalen Warren led the way for Pittsburgh in rushing with eight carries 38 yards no touchdowns James Cook uh, led the way for Buffalo with rushing going 18 carries 79 yards no touchdowns should note before Ken fucking throttles me Josh Allen also went eight carries 74 yards one touchdown the long one being the 52 yard uh, freight train that's what that was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Buffalo receiving it was Dalton Kincaid. Three catches, 59 yards, just one touchdown. Uh, And for Pittsburgh, it was Pat Freemuth going five catches, 76 yards, and no touchdowns. Well, a lot of storylines going on with this game. Uh Uh-huh. Obviously, the snowstorm of snowstorms in Buffalo delayed the game a day. Yeah, and hey, um, Buffalo ownership, work on getting that stadium cleared next time a little quicker because that was slightly embarrassing. Just saying. Well, here's the before I get into the game, I'm just going to kind of make an editorial piece. Okay. Strictly opinion. I understand that with the new stadium, they were against putting a dome on. Mm-hmm. But this is also a situation that I think games like this prove that maybe, just maybe, the ownership group and the city of Buffalo need to go 50-50 on yeah. the dome. Because th- this was fucking embarrassing Well, it was embar- to watch. It was embarrassing for the simple fact of how many people got hypothermia or right. were sick from it. If, well, if I'm not mistaken, I know there's a lot of people that, that got well, sick Well, and the, the and the one thing we got to clear up, too, is there was a lot going on of, oh, hey, the Bills are offering you know $20 an hour, and anyone that's down to the stadium that wants to shovel. Okay, yes, that was true, but it was only to the first 200 people who showed up, and if you were registered online to do so and could prove with a you know driver's license or state ID. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you sh- if you just showed up with a shovel looking to get 20 bucks an hour and you weren't registered, they were going to turn you away. But now I understand it took him so long because it was snowing for fucking like 24 hours or whatever insane amount it was, you know, over the course of the, from uh, Saturday into Sunday, you know. But then at the same token, the fact that it wasn't until a couple hours before game time on Monday that the field was finally cleared. But then you only did, according to photos I saw. You only shoveled out the club seats in the stadium and you left everyone else to their own devices. There was one video circulating around of a Buffalo Bills fan with two pieces of cardboard. And I'm talking like a box of cereal that you know comes in in your grocery store before they put it on the shelf. It was a box, two boxes about that size, medium sized boxes, not huge, you know, folded up that they were using to shovel their own seat with. And then there was another video of a gentleman who was there, who was a Steelers fan, was there with his two kids who was knee deep in snow just slushing through this thing to try and make a path so he could get to his seat. Yeah. That's just a terrible look. Yeah. I mean, there's, there was a lot going on with that. Like I said, I've seen differing reports saying about fans treated for, um, it wouldn't surprise me hypothermia and all that. And that's why I'm saying, I understand about the home field advantage with the snow and the cold and I get it's football. Yeah. But at this day and age, I know the stadium hasn't been built yet. Mm hmm. Maybe this is something to consider, right? Because if you're going to have more situations like this because of where you are, ge- geography, 
or geographically. Geographically. Sorry. sorry, I get a little emotional when I start talking about this. Look up a map of where Buffalo is. They're right on the fucking one of the Great Lakes here in the States. And when that lake effect snow starts cranking up, it's like a fucking snow machine at your local ski resort. Yeah. It is going nuts. So, I mean, that's something they're going to have to take a look at because I think we saw with this game. I'm right. sorry. No, the only thing I know with their new stadium, because I was, I was looking into if they're going to put a roof on the new stadium or not. They're not, but according to some reports, I saw the new stadium is going to have an overhang of some sort, which according uh, reportedly is going to cover some 60 to 70% of the seats. That's still leaving 30 to 40% exposed. Yeah, which, I mean, it, it's something, but it, we're still in the planning stages. If, right. If they really push the issue, and, and if I'm the NFL, I might maybe give it a, a nice nudge. Shit, if I'm the owner, i fucking cover it myself. Well, it's just, it, Do it as a tax write-off. Well, like I say, there, with that side of the business things, there's a lot more uh, moving parts. So sure, say. sure. But because overall, I think that this played a big factor in this game. <laughs> oh, yeah, it did. Because the one thing that I noticed, and I don't know if, it's, if you did too, Pad. Okay. When we saw a lot of these players hit the turf, mm-hmm. being tackled, mm-hmm. did you not see a lot more injuries? Oh, yeah. Why do you think that was? Uh, the field wasn't uh, 100% uh, cleared off. There were still some patches of ice and snow. Yeah. That worries me for player safety. Mm-hmm. And I think that we saw a few instances of that. Oh, yeah. I know Stefan Diggs was real shaken up. Bernard was shaken up on his leg, too, which, as far as I've heard, he just has a mild sprained ankle, which is good compared to what it looked like. Yeah. This is going to be a situation for the Bills if they're going to face the Chiefs now. They need to be at 100%. They need to play an excellent game, and they did play a great game here against Pittsburgh. Albeit, though, the only thing that scared me is when Tyler Bass got a field goal blocked. Mm -hmm. The momentum shifted, and it took them a while to kick back into gear. Right. And that is something that I was seeing not feeling so comfortable about. Mm -hmm. Albeit, though, they hung in there. They made some plays late when they needed to. Josh... And the rest of the offense looked great, mm-hmm. um, except for a couple drop passes here and there. But it happens every game. I'm not going to yeah. complain. Yeah. And this is going to be a team that I think can make a deep run. It's going to be a test, though, against Kansas City. Oh, yeah. That's going to be something because when you're relying on Josh to really kind of bail you out, even though James Cook had a great game running, too. Oh, yeah. We have to give him his credit. 18 for 79. Not bad. No, but I think this is a lot of situations where Josh showed the Josh of old. Yeah. He was very careful with the ball, and he needs to be against Kansas City. They got a legit chance to beat him outright. Mm-hmm. It just depends on what Kansas City team shows up because this is going to be away from home. Mm-hmm. It's a whole different ball game, and I think this is a situation that for the Bills they need to make a statement win. Yeah, no, I mean this game went about the way I thought it would. I I figured if the game was played on Sunday in the middle of the blizzard, it might go Pittsburgh's way just yeah. just because. In, when it comes to running backs, I like Najee Harris and Jalen Warren better than I do anybody from Buffalo. Sorry, but uh, you know when it comes to the tail of the tape, I, I I'm picking them. Not but, true story. But since the game was moved to Monday, and the, by then the snow had let up, you know all you had to deal with was just the, kind of the cold weather that came out on the back end of it. You know, I went okay. Yeah, no, it's probably it's probably going to be Buffalo. You know, and, and Buffalo, you know, it's going to be an interesting test this upcoming week. You know, and the other thing too, I would recommend is, uh, hey, Buffalo, you might want to uh, coach your players on some stuff you say in the media because I know there was a, a Bills player on Pat McAfee show on I want to say it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday, and they brought up the whole Josh Allen fifty-two yard run, and, and at one point he went for a slide, and the Bills player said, "We've been trying to convince that fucker to do that for a while." Uh, not necessarily the thing I would want to hear one of my own teammates saying in the, in the media at some point, you know, when it comes to Josh running, but well, you know, uh, but no, go ahead. 
No, I was going to say, that's not too bad, though. No. Because you know what? It's not ideal, but it's not great. Isn't it, but you know what? That's not a call out most, more than likely. It, it Granted, I've been sitting there telling them stop hurtling people yeah. for the life of me for a few seasons now. The fact they've been telling him to try to slide, I think, is a good idea, too, because he runs very recklessly. Yeah, and then like you mentioned, they gotta, they're got they going to have a tough task this upcoming weekend uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. The game is in Buffalo, where, oh, by the way, and I'm reading this from the National Weather Service in Buffalo, t- official Twitter account, uh, quote, here are updated forecast snowfall totals, snowfall amounts, forecast snowfall amounts, excuse me. Uh, yes, folks, they're getting more snow up in Buffalo. Uh, goes on to say, this is the additional snowfall that is expected from 1 p.m. this afternoon through 7 p.m. Thursday. This does not include what has already occurred. Uh, so in the Buffalo area, between today as we record and Thursday night, they're looking at another foot of snow coming in. Yeah, it's and, be and that's not counting whatever comes on the back half, because I know uh, Good Morning America this morning was talking like another two feet or more coming. Yeah, it's going to be a rough one this weekend. Uh-huh. I don't see it getting moved. I mean, no, I, but it, it's going to be a situation that... <clears throat> The big story from here is the Bills got to really take a look at that stadium. Right. Well, and I know some people are like, oh, why the game game? Why this? Why that? Because the conditions this that we're setting up with this storm were similar to the ones where they had to move the Buffalo game to where was it? Detroit a yep. couple of years ago? Yeah. And in the storm that hit Buffalo then, people died. So that they, they didn't want to risk people's lives. Exactly. No, no game is worth people dying over. Nope. None. Uh, and then we got one more game to talk about. That was the game on Monday night uh, where the Tampa Bay Buccaneers took on the Philadelphia Eagles, and Tampa Bay won by the final score of 32-9. to Baker Mayfield went 22-36, 337 yards passing, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions. And then Jalen Hurts went 25-35 for 250 yards passing, one touchdown, no interceptions. DeAndre Swift went... 10 carries, 34 yards, no touchdowns. Rashad White, 18 carries, 72 yards, no touchdowns. Uh, For Tampa Bay receiving, it was Cade Otten. Uh, Who? Exactly. Uh, Eight catches, 89 yards, no touchdowns. And then Devontae Smith led the way for Philly with eight eight catches, 148 yards receiving, and no touchdowns. Well, Philly, talk about an epic collapse. Good Lord. This is a situation that I didn't think was going to happen, but it did. Well, hey, look at who you got as your uh, defensive coordinator. Just saying. Well, that's the problem that they. <laughs> Those of you not familiar, it's Matt Patricia. Yeah. This is a situation that when Jalen Hurts was starting to get hurt, there was going to be problems. Uh huh. And we heard that obviously AJ Brown. Yep. Little issues going on there. Didn't play. Right. And it sounded like just Philly stopped caring. I think so. Just because I mean. 32 to 9, all right. It looks like, you know, Tampa Bay blew them out of the water and statistical beat down and everything else. Okay, so you look at the run game. I mentioned the 72 yards from Rashad White. You know, he averaged four yards a carry. But then Baker Mayfield had two carries, 16. Chase Edmonds, seven carries, 12 yards. Uh, Devin Tompkins, one carry, 10 yards. Trey Pollard, one carry, nine yards. Nothing sexy. You get past. Uh, Cade Otten, who I looked him up, he's in his second year out of the uh, fourth round pick out of Washington, uh, for those of you who don't know. But then, so you get past Cade Otten, you're like, oh, what'd Mike Evans do? Well, he caught three balls on seven targets uh, for 48 yards and no touchdowns. Oh, well, that's not, not the best. What did Chris Godwin do? Well, about the same. Five catches, uh, or excuse me, four catches on five targets for 45 yards and one touchdown. Yeah. So it, it's kind of like... It's kind of the same thing we say with Tampa Bay or Kansas City. 
You take Evans and Godwin out of the game, which obviously you can't double cover the both of them at the same time. That's just not how it works. But you shut them down. Mm-hmm. You got to get the other guys to step up. And Kate Otten more than stepped up. I'll be honest. I've never heard of that dude. You know, Kate Otten stepped up, but everybody else. It's like David Moore, 66 yards. Trey Palmer, 56. Mike Evans, I mentioned. Chris Godwin, I mentioned. Uh, Payne Durham, 18 yards. Chase Edmonds, 8 yards. Devin Tompkins, 4 yards. Rashad White, 3 yards. Like, Nobody else stepped up on on Tampa Bay's offense, but it didn't matter because Philly just seemingly didn't care. Philly's defense didn't care. Also, Tampa Bay shut down the tush push. Mm-hmm. I think that once the Tampa Bay twice Tampa Bay stopped their best punch. Yeah, they had nothing. Yeah, and Philly just collapsed. I'm sorry, Philly was not mentally tough for this game. Devontae was balling out of his mind, like I mentioned, 40, 140 yards. But DeAndre Swift is your next leading receiver. Which, okay, I get A.J. Brown wasn't playing. Totally understand. But you're telling me in a playoff game, your second leading receiver is your starting running back. Mm-hmm. Doesn't, make any, doesn't make any sense to me because Julio Jones, 22 yards. Dallas Goder, 21 yards. Quez Watkins, 12 yards. Kenneth Gainwell, 10 yards. And Olamide Zacchaeus, 5 yards. Yeah, I mean, that's the whole problem. Nobody stepped up. Mm-hmm. Philly mailed this one in. I'm sorry to say it. Like, this is, but tell me I'm wrong. No, you're not. Philly just had nothing. And Baker Mayfield, the comeback story of all time here, mm-hmm. showed up, proved what we've all been waiting to see since he left Oklahoma. Yeah. And literally played out of his mind. You know what it was? It, it was, you know, the Bane Batman moment in the, in the Nightfall comic. Bane broke Batman's back, mm-hmm. made him humble, brother. And and it took a while for Batman to recover. This, this is Tampa Bay breaking Philly's back. Yeah. No, point blank. So now there's a question of Sertani is going to be back next season. I doubt it. <sighs> you have you start ten and one. Yeah. And then you go one and five, arguably one and seven, if we're counting playoff losses here uh, to your season total. You know, which everyone likes to count the Patriots loss in the Super Bowl towards our totals. I'm counting it here. But you know, you go you start ten and one, and then you go one and uh, one and uh, six mm-hmm. to close out the year. Yikes! You, yeah. In my opinion, gotta go. Yeah, you know, he's gotta go, and I'm not sure who you plug in there too. I mean, that's the situation. We touched upon Belichick, and I think that he's going to go to a rebuilding team. It, I that's think, that's the one team that might make me vomit if because I don't. I genuinely do not see Belichick going to Dallas. It's fun to see the fucking photoshops and oh else, sure, but 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 I just don't see it happening. That's the one that like if it happens, I might vomit. Yeah, if he goes to Philly, that could be interesting. I, but I don't think he does. I think he goes to either Chargers or Atlanta. Probably. I think he wants to rebuild a team. And if he can do this on his own, he's got to have enough parts there to get going. Mm-hmm. Atlanta would have just a lot of picks, if I'm not mistaken. But Probably. other than that, I mean, I don't really see the, the drive there unless he has complete full control, and that's all he's looking for at this yeah, stage. That's what he's got to have. I don't know if he'd have that in Philly, but Philly would be a situation where he's got a great defense if he can will something out of him. And that offense is going to need some work. Yeah. Just point blank because, I mean, Jalen Hurts did not play great, but nobody else on that team really stepped up, in right. my opinion. So Right. Well, and you got to wonder how much the finger played a factor. Yeah, that's true. That's what I think. A lot of it did, but, I mean, what other option did you have? Not much. That's the problem. So when you don't have any options, you got to go with, the hot, with what you got, and if it's not hot, it's not hot. Mm-hmm. That's what Philly is going to be outside looking in. Detroit versus Tampa Bay this coming weekend. 
That's going to be an interesting game. Yeah, so uh, full schedule breakdown. So 4.30 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, January 20th on ESPN, ABC, and ESPN+. Plus will be the Houston Texans taking on the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore, uh, where the spread, as we record, is currently Baltimore by 9, and the over-under is 43.5. Honestly, I'd take the over on that one. Yeah, we too. Uh, then the 8.15 game on Fox is the Green Bay Packers taking on the San Francisco 49ers from Santa Clara, California, where currently the spread is San Francisco by 9. And the over under is 50 and a half. I'd take the under. Um, I'd take the under. I might go over there, but I think the point spread's right, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, no, I agree with the spread. Uh, I agree with the spread in both games. Uh, then you get to Sunday, and then the 6.30 p.m. Eastern on CBS from Orchard Park, New York, is the Buffalo Bills taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. Current spread is Buffalo by three, and the over-under is 45.5. Uh, take the over. I yep. like spread, no matter if it's Buffalo or Kansas City. Yeah, three, about right. Uh, easily, though, take the over. Going to be the best game of the weekend, I think, and... Yeah, this is going to be a real close one. I do like the Bills in this one. I just think the weather factor is going to play a bigger deal than anybody's given a factor. I, I want both you and Chiefs fans to really sweat this one out. Well, we probably will. Close, close game, going to overtime, be like a last you know, three seconds left on the clock. Somebody had to take a timeout, whatever it is, spike the ball, set up for a, a game-winning field goal. It's fucking snowing, winds blowing in a circle through that stadium. Really, I don't care who it is, Kansas City, Pitt, uh, Buffalo, really make you sweat. Uh, and then the last game is 3 p.m. Eastern on NBC, where it is the Tampa Bay, Buc- Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking on the Detroit Lions from Detroit, Michigan. Uh, currently, it is Detroit by 6.5, and, and the over-under is 48.5. It's going to be a shootout there. Yeah, I would, it is. I would, I would take the over. Ooh. I do like Detroit, but we'll have to wait to see how this all plays mm-hmm. out. A lot of storylines coming out of this, and in fact, this whole weekend crowned us a new Locks and Leaps champion. Yes, it did. The one and only Coach Duffy pulled it out because of the Tampa Bay. Dude better buy a Baker Mayfield jersey. It's all I'm saying. That's what we're saying. We're going to have to wait to see him on social media as he uh, has his year to be a champion. But for all of us, uh, it starts uh, the preseason starts now. A lot of great storylines, though, coming out this weekend. So definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPagePod. What is your thoughts about Wild Card Weekend in the NFL heading into the next round of the playoffs? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Do not adjust your dial. Or, well, your phone, your watch, or whatever the heck you're using to listen to the awesome podcast you're currently listening to. I am the Duke of Nerds, Tyler Mack, and I am here to tell you that being a nerd can be a bit overwhelming, especially after 30. Life moves pretty fast in our nerd culture, and if you don't take the time to notice things, you miss out. That's why I'm here. As your Duke of Nerds, I am charged with educating and enlightening and entertaining you on all things nerdy. I do it by running the 30 and Nerdy podcast. 30 and Nerdy is a bad cast company production and currently playing wherever you cast your pod. Follow along each episode using the hashtag 30andnerdypod. And check out what all is going on at 30andnerdypodcast.com. Whether it's DC, Marvel, comics, or video games, I have got you covered. So tune in now. Cheers to you, nerds. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast, and we have to recap the biggest enter- event in entertainment. Yeah. And that was Marvel Studios making their triumphant return to Disney Plus. And their triumphant debut on Hulu. Yeah. A lot of moving and shaking going on with the new year and their lineup of properties and kicking everything off officially 
is Echo. Mm-hmm. So the Disney Plus show spinning out of Hawkeye, but if you know the comics, spinning out of Daredevil, more importantly, mm-hmm. finally made its debut on the small screen. Alkaya Cox playing the role of Maya Lopez, a.k.a. Echo. Vincent D'Onofrio reprising his role as Wilson Fisk, a.k.a. Kingpin. Mm-hmm. And the story of the character that is going to be really featured, I think, in a lot more of the next phase of the MCU. A lot of street-level stuff. Yes, I think we're going to see a lot more of that take place, and that's always a good thing. Maya Lopez is always an interesting character in the comics, has a has a very unique path that she goes through mm-hmm. um, in, involving the Avengers as well. I don't think that that's a big spoiler per se. No. But I think with how we are going into this next phase of Marvel Cinematic Universe, Echo is going to play a big role. Probably. So what we're going to be doing is breaking down the season that was, kind of give like our, our, our good, the bad, and the huh mm-hmm. about it. But as we always like to do, if you're new to the show, first and foremost, thank you for checking us out. What we like to do is give you a spoiler-free statement of this show where we're going to be talking about. Then we're going to give you a countdown. If you haven't seen the show and you don't want anything spoiled, pad puts right in the liner notes what time we start talking spoilers. Mm-hmm. So you can duck out, do what you got to, and then jump back in and get the full conversation after you've caught up. Because we don't want to ruin anything for anybody. It's Granted, it's been a week, but still, I know a lot of fans still have not officially seen everything yet. People have been busy. Right. And there's a lot of stories coming out of this, too. Yeah, there is. So we're going to give you a little yeah. speculation yeah. on where we think everything's going with that. So that being said, Pad, give me your spoiler-free statement on the series uh, one of Echo. I thought it was good. You know, it was something a little different than what we've seen previously, even from the Netflix shows. You know, the Daredevil and... Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Defenders, uh, and then also Punisher. And it was also different from what we've seen on Disney Plus, you know, with, you know, Fal- uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, WandaVision, uh, Haw- it, it was kind of in the same vein as Hawkeye, but it was still different enough that it didn't feel like, you know, a season two or season 1.5 of Hawkeye. You know, and, and I enjoyed it for the most part. It certainly had its points where I was like, what, what, what are we doing? You know, where is this leading? But overall, I enjoyed it. You know, it's not one I would necessarily like go out of the way to rewatch again anytime soon. But if I'm, you know, down the road looking for something to watch and, you know, I'm out of ideas of what to watch or I somehow run out of things to watch because I've watched everything I want to watch. I might I might give it a rewatch. I thought it was a great gateway into the next phase of the street levels. I'll just say the Defenders universe. Yes. That I think now making that transition into the official Marvel Universe canon. Right, and this is something I feel we should mention because I don't remember them ever saying this, and if they did, I missed it. This is a Marvel Spotlight show. Yes. So this is a show that, as we alluded to in a previous episode, you don't need to have seen every other single Marvel movie or television show to understand. It doesn't hurt if you've seen uh, Hawkeye. You know, but you don't need to have seen Hawkeye to understand what's going on with this. So this is a show that if you if you're kind of falling off the wagon, so to speak, with, uh, you know, the Marvel shows, just because, yeah, they're not that good anymore. And you want to give this a shot. You can give this give this a shot without having seen everything else. Yeah, I think the Spotlight series, I mean, we saw with Werewolf by Night. Yep. I think is a great introduction to some of the lesser known characters. Absolutely. And I think this kind of is a springboard to get them into maybe some more series, mm-hmm. depending on the reaction of this. And I think for Echo, this plays perfectly because of how she is connected to a lot of the other Defenders Universe characters. Yep. And especially when you're trying to kind of give fans an idea where we're going right. with this. Right. 
The bonus scene at the end of this, and we will talk about that. Oh, boy. Sets a big stage. Oof. But it really helped with the strong acting yeah. that was involved. Uh, I will agree with you. I mean, this was I thought was good. I thought it was good. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't blown away by it. Yeah, but yeah. I, was, I was thoroughly entertained. I thought Akai Cox played great as Maya. Mm-hmm. And anytime you got Wilson, Wilson Fisk on there, I mean, it's, yeah, it's great. I mean, for me, the show was good. I, like I said, it was good. I enjoyed it. You know, but it wasn't like that next level where I am chomping at the bit to get home from whatever I'm doing that day to watch the next episode. I certainly took my time with it and I watched it when I had some free, a free hour or half hour to crank out an episode, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in that vein of, Oh my God, I have to get home and watch this next episode because the cliffhanger at the end of the last episode was insane. Yeah. But there's a lot of good to be taken away from this. And I, the ripple effects are already being felt now. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't seen it, definitely make sure you give it a watch on Disney plus or Hulu, wherever you're at in the world. But let's get into that spoiler talk because it definitely have a lot of points to talk about. So, Pad, in three, two, one, Mayor Fisk? Yeah, that was quite possibly the most insane bonus scene I've seen since maybe Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum, or not Quantumania, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, Ant-Man 2, where we, we knew... Something had happened because Ant-Man wasn't in Infinity War and there was a loose reference to him. But then to actually see, you know, what had happened, you know, in that time in Ant-Man 2. And then you get and then you get to like the end of Ant-Man, Ant-Man 2 and you go, holy shit, like, whoa, this, 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 that, that end scene was nuts. Well, it's an interesting scenario of how we get from point A to point B. Uh-huh. Because what I thought they did really well is like you touched upon it's marvel spotlight yep you didn't need to see any previous shows they did a great recap of how maya got to where she is right now mm-hmm. because they did show a little flashback sequence about ronin and yep. the tracksuit mafia yep. and her dad so they did touch upon it just enough and then when you start going into the origins of the first episode mm-hmm. in title chafta mm-hmm. this is where i thought they did a great job of explaining about her car accident which you know, did the damage to her leg. Yep. And then you start seeing about how she was moving from her hometown yep. of Tamaha, Oklahoma to New York City mm-hmm. because her father, William, mm-hmm. uh, was getting closer to the kingpin. Yeah, he was making some friends with some not so nice people. Right. Uh, Zahn McClen, who, mm-hmm. who played her dad, uh, I thought did a really good job about yeah. trying to establish this first because he didn't get a lot of screen time at first. No. But seeing the family reaction as he's getting you know, involved because the whole accident was because somebody severed the brakes on the car. Yeah. That caused the accident. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. And I thought it kind of played into a little more as we know as the story goes on because anytime you're involved with Wilson Fisk, it's, <laughs> it never ends well. Yeah, you start digging up uh, a little bit of the soil, you start finding a trail of bodies buried underneath undersaid soil. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the thing too. I agree with you with, with William and, and the actor's portrayal because he did, he definitely did a good job of like, showing he or trying to show he cared for Maya and wanted her best, but wasn't necessarily going about it in the best way. Yeah. And, and was definitely, you know, entrenching himself with some less than stellar people. And plus it didn't go over the top with Kingpin either. Yeah. Like, that, which was nice. Yeah. It was just kind of, it was a subtle nod in there, but as you start seeing when more is happening after her father's death, 
Fisk is now training Maya to kind of fill in that role of the enforcer. Uh, like, and, and I no, I agree with you with Kingpin, and they've handled Kingpin phenomenally with this whole miniseries because they could have easily gone like Ultimate Spider-Man, you know, the comic series from the 2000s, and had him come in and crush some dude's skull and out of it. Like, no, yeah, that's Kingpin. That makes sense. Yeah, but you know, he he played the part of the Kingpin, and and. I want to run everything. I want to have my finger in every pie I can possibly get my finger in, but I also don't want to get myself dirty. Well, it's very compelling when you really take a look at the history of Wilson Fisk Mm -hmm. and how he's evolved over the years, even to now his current incarnation in comics, which is wild to think about. It works, though. It works, but it also gives that real you know, human element to him as well. Mm-hmm. Of just how calculating he is. And it's it's something that D'Onofrio pulls off so flawlessly. Yes. That when you start seeing him maneuver and get everybody lined up like the chess pieces, it's scary to think that he's capable of this and then how he usually gets out of things too. I feel like I've said it before, but D'Onofrio's easily in that class of like Viola Davis and was meant to play this role. Oh, absolutely. No question about that. No question at all. Because then even when you see the initial encounter with... Maya and Charlie Cox's Daredevil, uh huh, which is a great sequence. Happens quick. Yeah, they don't really dive into it. I love that the fact that they went to the red suit instead of the one that we saw in She Hulk. Yep, that it, it kind of gave the sense like, okay, this is going to be more grounded, more in mm-hmm. the same vein of the Netflix shows, which mm-hmm. is perfect. Mm-hmm. And then how this all kind of leads to Maya eventually finding out that Fisk was the one who arranged for her father to be killed. Yeah, it's kind of like part of this episode is like the flip coin opposite side from what we didn't see from the Hawkeye series. Yeah, which I loved how that different percent vantage point came into play. Which, which is why I said, is it required you see Hawkeye before you see the show? No. Does it hurt? Absolutely not. No, because the only thing you really know about Maya is Maya is a very skilled fighter. Yep. They haven't really dived into her photographic reflexes that right. she can see somebody. Uh, much in the same vein as Taskmaster. I said this right. last week, but that's the easiest way to describe it. Right. Or describe Maya, I should say, rather. But then we, you see that, obviously, we have the final scene from Hawkeye where Maya shoots Fisk uh-huh. in the face. Yep. And then we kind of speed off a little bit where Maya returns to Tama. Mm-hmm. So she's trying to reconnect with her life back home. You know, the, the puzzle is broken. She's just trying to put it back together. Yeah, because obviously she knows she has no home with her adopted father of Fisk. She also, as far as she knows, just shot the kingpin of crime in the head, and there's going to be a target on her back that is rather large. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a little... Because you don't do that without making some enemies. Mm-hmm. So it is a little crazy to see this take place, and then we see that Wilson Fisk obviously survives uh, right. in the hospital. Right. So. This is where you kind of see like the little eye patch he has going on too, and like I say, this is does tie into the story we talked about on Turn a Page, actually parts of a whole. Mm. But if you haven't read Maya's origin story, it's an excellent Daredevil story, so you definitely want to check that out. And then as the story kind of progresses, she's going back home, reconnecting, and obviously trying to avoid the Kingpin's grasp. Yeah, because it seems like you know, having come home, she hasn't. It sounds like she hasn't been home since she initially left. Which we saw in that like one scene in the first episode. Mm-hmm. So everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's been so long. What are you doing?" Yeah, because she's trying to reconnect. Because I mean, there's a touching scene when she's a kid and yeah. she's leaving too. Yeah, and as she's trying to reconnect to her cousin Biscuits, mm-hmm. which I mean, I have to laugh. Uh, Cody Lightning's name there. I mean, he's he's kind of like the comic relief, if you will, for this. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, he does play a great role with this. And obviously, as Maya's trying to kind of figure out her next move. When Fisk puts out the hit, so to speak, mm-hmm. for Maya, 
people in town talk. Yeah. Everybody has delusions of grandeur. Oh, I mean, it, it's that whole thing about, you know, small town and how much really stays quiet at the end of the day. And Well, small town, people tend to talk and everyone knows everyone. Yeah. So it is kind of a little crazy how everything starts playing out here. Mm-hmm. And then when Maya is trying to, you know, get reestablished, well, the kingpin's grass comes to town. Mm-hmm. And then we get, I mean, that's more or less the drive of Loak. That was episode two. I mean, even though they did do some uh, flashback sequence to the Choctaw mm-hmm. tribe, and I, I love the fact that they kept that part of her history in there too. Because obviously with her being the first Native American uh, superhero leading mm-hmm. in their own series mm-hmm. is, a, is a very big deal and showing that history is just equally important. Oh, yeah, and representation matters. You know, Absolutely. I got a, I got a buddy who is, I don't know the percentage, but it's enough of a percentage uh, that he is Native American. And, and it, it will, he loves the Marvel shows. He loves, you know, superhero movies. But, you know, it's nice for him to finally be able to connect and feel that like, oh, hey, there's somebody I can relate to on some level. And and I've had the fortunate, you know, slight side story, but I've had the, you know, fortunate experience to go out to the American Southwest and, and see some of the Native American, you know, stuff out there, you know, the various sites and, you know, experiences and stuff. I've, I've gotten to sleep in, sleep outdoors in much the same fashion that they did, you know, way back when, you know, and, and it's awesome to see. And, and I love that stuff. And just to get to see this stuff, you know, on screen in, in an awesome way was just so cool to see. No, absolutely. I thought they did a masterful job with it and really, you know, portrayed it very respectfully yeah. and, and, you know, made it so, such an equal part of the story too with Maya. And I loved how they set it up because it was, it provided a nice balance yes. from what was going on with the Kingpin because I mean, still it, it could, the show could have really just been straightforward mm-hmm. Kingpin sending forces, mm-hmm. Maya fighting back. They didn't do that. They the whole, the whole thing could have been set in pick one of the boroughs in New York City. Yeah. And it was just her lying low trying to evade kingpin forces or the power vacuum that would inevitably open up because the kingpin's quote unquote dead and everyone assumes he's dead. And then he makes his triumphant return because it's only five. This series is only five episodes. And then we'll just say partway through episode three, he makes his triumphant return on screen. Oh, you thought I was dead. No, they could have easily done that, but they decided to take it in a different direction. And, and really take, you know, a slight risk with it because not everyone's going to connect with this. Not everyone's going to understand it. Not everyone's going to feel like, oh, hey, this is cool to see. But it worked. Oh, it absolutely did. Especially, too, when, it, it like we say, it provided a nice counterbalance to what was going on with Maya's uncle. Yeah. Henry Lopez, who's played by Chosky Spencer. Mm-hmm. And obviously, he is the owner of a roller rink down there. Yep. But there is still a connection with Wilson Fisk because Wilson Fisk reaches outside of just New York City. Yeah, he does. He's got a uh, long tendrils, if you will. Yes. So when an employee snitches out that Maya is here, uh-huh. this is when the forces come down and provides one of the more insane action sequences going on because Maya has been fighting a lot of forces. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you'll listen to the song uh, Dragula by Rob Zombie <laughs> in the same manner. Greatest musical camp music cameo or whatever you want to call it in TV history I've seen in quite some time. Yes. Oh my god. Possibly, you know, the last great musical cue I can think from a TV show was I think it was what season two of uh, oh what was it um the Netflix Umbrella Academy where mm-hmm. where they did Queen Don't Stop Me Now. Yeah. Like that was the last great one I can think of. Yeah. No, it was a perfect sequence too because while the fight is going on, while Henry and his daughter Bonnie, played by Devery Jacobs is being held hostage. Mm-hmm. Maya is taking everybody out single-handedly in a laser tag scenario. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so good. It's perfect, but this obviously buys some time 
for them to escape. But then again, do you ever really escape from Kingpin? Exactly, too. So this is where everything kind of picks up in Tuklo, episode three. And when this all happens, who finally shows up mm-hmm. in Oklahoma but mm-hmm. Wilson Fisk. Yep. And then, like I say, for Taloa, episode four, we get like a mix of, you know, a little backstory involving mm-hmm. Maya. Especially this is one that we saw, too. In the trailers. In the trailers with a very young Maya yep. as, a, as a child trying to get ice cream. And when the vendor is not respecting her. A little bit of a jerk. Yep. Fisk goes off. And, understandably so. Yeah, understandably. Like I say, the one thing that they really did a nice job with D'Onofrio's character here, and this is something you see in the comics uh, when it's done well, it's mm-hmm. very good, mm-hmm. is the Kingpin is more than just I'm a bad guy. Mm-hmm. He does have that emotional child in him, mm-hmm. but he's also somebody that's very protective of people he loves. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this weird balance to give him another layer. So when you're watching him in these kind of scenarios, it throws you off because it's almost like making you sympathetic towards him. Yeah. So then when you see him do very bad things later, it's like, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to root against them. It's, it's like the Malfoy family in Harry Potter where we know what awful pieces of shit you know they are mm-hmm. and, and how, just how evil they are and everything they're absconded in. But then at the same token, though, there's like points in the series where like you find out, oh, they made a generous donation to the, the hospital that, you know, all the wizards use. And like, oh, that's really nice. But yeah, no, you're still a piece of shit. Yeah. So it is kind of an interesting scenario playing out because – Fisk is trying to lure yeah, her back because he doesn't. He doesn't want to do what he knows he has to. Yeah, because he's he's grown attached. He feels that Maya is his daughter, mm-hmm. and it's a weird scenario playing out because with the kingpin, you don't really think the side of him, but he's like, no, you should be at my side. You're the heir to the throne. Yep, and really tries selling this, and Maya is is just saying like, how far can I keep running? And it, it really kind of messes her up about where she's trying to go. Yeah. And obviously knowing that, you know, the residents in Oklahoma there are going to be literally caught in the line of fire, it adds more pressure to her character. Well, and especially at this point, some people are like, some of Maya's immediate friends, family or whatever are like in the loop on what's going on. But then even some folks, you know, not necessarily directly related, but like related by association mm-hmm. are starting to pick up that something's going on, you know, because it was what biscuits, mother, grandmother, whatever the family relation was. Shula, Shula, Shula who's played by Tattoon uh, Cardinal, you, you know, she lent biscuits, her car, truck, whatever it was. She's like, oh, and she's talking to a neighbor. And she's like, oh, like she and and the and she's going out to get her mail. She's talking to a neighbor. And, oh yeah, I let my son biscuits, you know, borrow the car, blah blah blah. And then he brings back the car after an incident with Maya and and Kingpin's forces. And like the front bumper is barely hanging on to the rest of the car. And it's, he's like trying to sneak back in before she can see the car. And he drives right by him, mm-hmm. you know. So it, it's like stuff like that. That like okay, the town is starting because it's a small town. Everyone knows each other. Everybody talks, you know. It's starting to leak out that, like, okay, uh, things are not exactly stat quo. No, they're definitely not. So when you start seeing these scenarios play out, it's, it's just adding more tension 
mm-hmm. as things are building, especially to, like I say, episode four might have been my favorite one yeah. with Taloa, which because it was a lot more D'Onofrio and, and Cox going back and forth with the dialogue. Yeah. And really, you're, you're trying to see that Fisk is just wheeling and dealing as much as he can, even saying to the point, well, the only reason I killed your father is because he was beating your mother. Mm-hmm. And they have this hotel confer- confrontation, and he's like, literally, you have to leave with me. Otherwise, you know what's going to happen. Yeah. And when Maya decides not to, this is what leads into the final episode entitled Maya. Because what? He's on the plane. Or not, is he, he in the car or on the plane? I believe he's in the on the plane. He, he's in a vehicle of some sort, and uh, Maya was being tailed by some of his forces, but she loses him. And he gets he gets told, like, hey, sorry, you know, we, we had eyes on her, but we lost her. And then he just punches a wall. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, he's not thrilled. No, he's not because he knows what he has to do. Mm-hmm. And this is an unfortunate thing that you've seen him go to great lengths, even with the use of this AI translator. This needs to be a real thing. Yeah. I don't know who we need to talk to in like the science or medical community. This needs to be a thing because that was awesome. Yeah, no, it was an amazing thing that he was able to communicate with Maya because Maya's deaf. Uh, with the use of sign language, and it was just this weird like, a- AI type thing. It, it was like this augmented reality. He would speak, but then the con- it was like a contact lens mm-hmm. in each eye would like provide this overlay onto his body and would do the sign language motions of their hands. And would allow her to read what he was saying. And then I think vice, because I don't think we ever saw it from his perspective. I think, or if we did, it was a real blink and you miss it type scenario. From his perspective, it would give like subtitles of what she was saying. Yeah. This needs to be a thing. Like not even joking. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of an interesting scenario how this all kind of builds towards the end because Fisk knows what he has to do. Mm -hmm. It all centers around the Choctaw Pow Wow Festival. Yep. And this is where Maya makes her final stand because obviously Fisk is going there and he's going to take out everybody and anybody that's there mm-hmm. because obviously you can't cross the kingpin. <laughs> well, you can try. It doesn't matter. You well. can try. And this kind of sets up a few different things, even though like I will say the one thing I didn't really like about this portion, mm-hmm. it seemed like kingpin's lackeys mm-hmm. were too telegraphed. Yeah. No, they were. Like, that was the one thing that just really took me away from this. It's like, yeah. not saying everybody needs to be bullseye. Yeah. But yeah. you could tef- you could definitely tell, like, something's not right with, with this group of individuals. Yeah. They're in a band. They got rocket launchers and all types of nonsense. Yeah. I, I mean, mean, I mean, this episode kind of fell flat for me, too, just because it felt like we were building towards this climax and yeah. this conclusion. And I wasn't necessarily expecting, like, you know, a knockdown drag out fight, but I was expecting something. And it's kind of like, you know, they were blowing the balloon up, blowing it up, blowing it up, blowing it up. And then instead of the balloon popping and the popping in this case being the explosive action and the fight sequence, it's like they let the balloon off, you know, the little thing that pumps the air into the balloon and it just kind of spit and sputtered away. Yeah, because, I mean, that's what really happens here because when Maya tries to make the play and you see Kingpin kidnaps uh, Maya's family. Yeah. And this gets kind of crazy where she taps into the powers of the Choctaw Mm -hmm. of her ancestors. And really, like, it shows them almost like going, using, like, the, the photographic reflexes, so to speak, of the past. Like, yep. I really like the interpretation of the powers here. I did, too. Like I say. So it really played in a point. And then this is where Maya kind of flipped everything. And I thought, I understand why it did this, but it was kind of like almost reminded me of like Ghost Rider and a Penance Stare mm, a little bit. Okay. Because Maya winds up trapping Fisk in his own memories mm-hmm. of... Fisk crying in a corner while his father was being his mother. Mm-hmm. 
and it was just something to like the str- side we haven't seen before. Right. Yeah. No, we definitely haven't seen that. And you, it was kind of an interesting play that they did. Mm-hmm. But when everything is all said and done, and we're talking about like everything's upset with the monster truck rolling over the the van of the yeah. bugs and yeah. the rocket launcher shoots a firework off instead. Like, yeah. I thought they kind of just tied it up too nicely. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, Fisk takes off and yep. escapes the police. Yep. Maya says her goodbyes, and she's leaving for parts unknown. Mm -hmm. And that's, like, literally how it ends. But then there's the bonus scene Mm -hmm. that really, I thought, salvaged a lot Uh from the finale. Uh Uh-huh. Because, Pad, what are we watching unfolding? So it's Fisk on a plane ride back to New York. It's not explicitly said, but, hey, that's where he lives. I'm presuming he's going back to New York, and he's talking with one of his lackeys, be it a secretary or crony, whatever it is. He's on the plane talking with somebody. And there's obviously, because he's a rich and wealthy individual, there's a television on the plane. And because it's a private jet, and the television is tuned into Spectrum News, uh, specifically Spectrum News out of the city. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they're talking about how there's an upcoming mayoral uh, race there. And how, you know, all of the candidates that are currently vying for the title of mayor, nobody really likes them. And how the the polls people are, they're taking to the people, prospective voters, you know, they don't really like them. And they're really waiting for that third party candidate or that third candidate to come out of nowhere that, you know, that relative unknown that one who's not a traditional politician somebody to really come and grasp the power and take it by the take it by the hands and and really get a hold of this city and that's where it slowly starts to dawn on fisk without him saying anything they're like oh they're talking about me yeah it's an interesting thing that he's always had this uh, eye on in the comics Uh uh-huh and i always think that it's very tricky about how they've done this because in recent years we've seen what happens when he gets into power <laughs> and it's very cool, Yeah, but it's, it makes for great stories is what I'm saying. But for the heroes involved, it's an interesting dynamic. If they try pulling this off, it's exciting. Oh, it's going to be exciting. Cause I mean, this is tying into recent daredevil, right? And then even to a degree, if they want to keep going for what we're seeing in gang war right now. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they could build to it. I mean, they could. It's just there's so many moving parts involved. Because like, the, the thing we got to bring up, too, is the day this show, specifically Epco, dropped, uh, Marvel added the Netflix shows to the MCU timeline. Mm-hmm. So uh, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Iron Fist, Defenders, and Punishers are all in the official MCU timeline. And if you're wondering where you can see that official MCU timeline, if you go to your Disney Plus app on your phone or your tablet or whatever you watch it on you go to the marvel section you scroll down a little bit and you find timeline order and you go past a little bit you will now see the netflix shows added in there so they are a part of the official timeline so now it's officially confirmed that you know the defenders universe is canon Mm -hmm. it is a part of the mcu so now we're not we're going into you know daredevil born again you know with all of the past of what happened in, what was it, three seasons of Daredevil? Yep. Having played out, having happened. So this isn't a fresh, hey, it's a, it's a light illusion to what you saw before, but it's not the same guy. No, this is the same guy that you saw before in those three seasons of Daredevil. So this is a guy with motivations and history with all of those characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to play into nothing but big wins here. Absolutely. As they slowly start reintroducing the Defenders. In what incarnation, we don't know. We do know Charlie Cox is back as Daredevil. Yep. The supporting cast is now rumored, rumored, and we want to stress 
rumored to yeah. be returning. It's it's rumored they're returning, but the rumor isn't coming from Deadline or Hollywood Reporter uh, or Variety. So for now, and of course, by the time you hear this, that could have changed in Variety. Hollywood Reporter could have put something out about it. But for as of this recording, it's not being reported. So take it as a rumor for right now. Yes, because like we say, the rumor that Deborah Ann Wall is back as Karen Page and Eldon mm-hmm. Henson as Foggy Nelson mm-hmm. is strictly rumor. So we mm-hmm. want to just make sure we're driving that point home. But we are optimistic to see what happens because yeah. now with the shows coming back, it is a question of who is fully returning. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, I think Luke Cage and Iron Fist are up in the air because Chris, Mike, we know Kristen Ritter said she's up for doing it. Kristen Ritter did say she's coming. She wanted to come back as Jessica Jones. Bernthal has been very vocal that he is willing to do the character again, but it has to be, in his words, the perfect story. Yes. So, but I would say with Frank Castle, they can do it. Albeit, though, with the new Punisher series by David Pepos, mm-hmm. they do have an out if they can't get Bernthal in. Right. And it would make sense, and it wouldn't it wouldn't tarnish anything. Right. So I want to stress that point, too. Right. Mike Coulter, who plays uh, Luke Cage, is currently on another show right now. Mm-hmm. So that might be the only hiccup. At the same token, though, he and Kristen Ritter are very good friends, and I, yeah. could, I could see her talking him into it. Well, it just depends on getting out of kind Yeah. Of, like I say, you, you're... They could make it work. Look at how many shows Pedro Pascal's on, and he's still got time oh, for right. everything. That, that would be the only hiccup. Like I say, it's minor, but they could make it happen. I think Coulter, Pedro Pascal's in everything, and he still has time. Yeah, Coulter wants to come back, too. Finn Jones, uh, we have to wait and see about that's that That's the biggest question mark. Yeah, whatever they're going to do with his character of Danny Rand. I mean, I think what they should do, but this is only early speculation, is do Heroes for Hire. It makes the what most about sense. Shang-Chi 2? Well, Shang-Chi 2 would be a great addition as well. It's low, it's low stakes. You're not necessarily hinging the entire success of, of you know your next feature, be it television or film, on him. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously you look at the reception uh, Iron Fist got when it came out. Yeah. You know, uh, it might leave a slight sour taste in some people's mouth. Yeah, I mean, that's the only question you have to see. But if you're going to be doing reintroductions, I think it would be smart, too. Yeah. I mean, I just I don't know what the initial plan is going to be. I mean, would I love to see a Daughters of the Dragon series? Hell mm. yeah. Yeah. But I don't know exactly what is going to be here because I think what they're going to try doing, this is just early speculation coming literally out of watching Echo. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to set up for the Kingpin to win the mayoral, mayoral race. Probably in Born Again, I'd guess. Yeah. And then implement the rulings that he's done in the TV show, or the comics, yeah. about vigilantes in New York. Mm-hmm. And then I think that that's where you'll see maybe Luke Cage come back in. I wouldn't doubt seeing uh, Simone Mystic playing Misty Knight again, mm-hmm. Jessica Henwick playing Colleen Wing, and then you introduce the Daughters of the Dragon there. Yeah. If they come back with Danny Rand, this would be a great way to do it because he doesn't really need a costume, right? You know, as Iron Fist, he just I mean he's he has the you know his Iron Fist. What else mm-hmm. does he need? So they do have some ways around it. I just think it'd be a little more difficult with Charlie Cox's Daredevil, but they can make it happen. Yeah. And the yeah. thing too, which would be really interesting, and I think it'd be a smart play to do, is Tom Holland is long overdue to me, Mister D'Onofrio. That is true. And we need to have some Spider-Man. We're, we're, we're now like Spider-Man and Kingpin are very entwined with each other over the course of their history. Yep. We are now, you know, two decades into the run of Spider-Man feature films and have mm-hmm. yet to see the two of them interact. Mm-hmm. And I think that that would be box office. Yeah, it would. 
You want an idea for Spider-Man 4. Ooh. I mean, I'm just putting it out there in the karma. But like we say, this is all just trickling out of Echo. So, Pat, I mean, let's kind of wrap it up with a bow. What's your official grade on Echo? Uh, if I'm grading it out of 10, probably like a six and a half, seven out of 10. It's good. It's fun. You know, I enjoyed it, but like it wasn't the best thing I've ever seen. No, that's fair. Uh, for me, I love the performance by Alcott Cox. I love the representation shown in the show. Mm-hmm. I just think that when we got to the end, the finale fell flat. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were trying to speed up to just conclude it instead of letting the story play out. Like if they went one more episode, I think that would have done it. Or and even I, extended some of the episodes because there was a couple episodes that were like not even 40 minutes. No, they're barely a half hour. Yeah. So I think when you factor that into play, I think that that kind of hurt the series in the long term, but it did make up for certain areas. I say Vincent D'Onofrio's Kingpin's always cash. Uh, the bonus scene is very good. So if I have to put my official grade on, I'm giving it a seven and a half. Okay. So I like where they're going with it, and it's now made me more excited to see Born Again because I believe that that's going to be the next one that we see as fans. Uh, in terms of the live action stuff, yes. The only thing I know of offhand without looking it up that is on the horizon for Marvel television is X-Men 97. But that's not anything to do with the MCU. That's a continuation of the ni- ni- 1997 or whatever uh, cartoon series. Yeah, so we definitely will have a lot to discuss about that when that all comes out. But in the meantime, it is up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts on Marvel Studios Echo currently airing on Disney Plus and Hulu? Let's talk about it, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. You ever wondered what comics Mark from Vale Mai is into? What Zach from Left Behind's favorite MCU movies are? Well, Metalcore Nerds is the show for you. My name is Sean Ma, and here at Metalcore Nerds, we cover the latest things in pop culture, whether it be Star Wars, Marvel, DC, AEW, and everything else in between. You can listen to the show every Monday on Adobe Howl at 7 p.m. Eastern or find it anywhere you find podcasts after it debuts on the radio station. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast Pad. It's fight night? Yeah, it is. Oh, let's talk about it. UFC is back in full swing this weekend. And we have a very, very interesting card to talk about. Yeah, so taking place this Saturday, January 20th, from the Scotiabank Arena in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, is UFC 297. Uh, so uh, rather interesting card, as you said. Yeah, this one definitely is making some headlines. Uh, albeit, though, the main event is probably the reason why. Uh-huh. <laughs> Considering who's involved in uh, under recent um, instances, shall we say. <laughs> oh, boy. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about the main card, kind of give our picks about what's going on with that. And, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Yeah, so uh, we're going to go through the main card. And the first fight on the main card is in the featherweight division between Arnold Allen and Movsar Evolev. Uh, Allen, a lot of hype behind him. Very interesting to see how this plays out for him. And I got to say, you have to kind of wonder with the UFC hype train, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, is he the real deal or not? I mean, we'll see. Uh, for Arnold Allen, just 29 years old, he has a professional record of 21 in 21 matches, 19 wins, two losses, coming off of a loss to uh, Max Holloway by unanimous decision. That was back in April of last year. Prior to that, he had not lost a fight since June 7th of 2014. Yeah. Uh, beating the likes of Calvin Qatar uh, via TKO, Dan Hooker via TKO, uh, Sadiq Yusuf by unanimous decision, Nick Lentz by unanimous decision. 
decision, Gilbert Melendez, uh, by unanimous decision, just to name a few. Uh, the dude is, well, he's kind of like a well-rounded fighter, I guess you could say. Seven wins by knockout, four by submission, eight by decision. Uh, and then going up against his opponent, uh, Mozvar uh, Evolev, uh, who is just 29 years old, uh, will turn 20, uh, actually, excuse me, will turn 30 here in February. Uh, for his record, 17, prof- oh, good Lord, 17 professional matches, 17 wins, no losses. Uh, yeah, he's coming off of, he, he does a lot of uh, go the distance unanimous decisions. Uh, three wins by knockout, four by submission, 10 by decision. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Allen will have a nice bounce back here. I mean, he was, like I said, on that hype train, but, you know, you get sometimes get derailed, so yeah. you really have to see what he's made of. I'm going to say Evolev just because that's an impressive record he's got going there. Fair enough. Uh, then in the middleweight division, you've got Chris Curtis taking on Mark andre uh, Barrault. This is going to be a fun fight. I could see this one going either way, to be honest with you. I mean, it's going to be solid. Nothing really box yeah. office for me, so i got to take Barrault in this one. Uh, looking at the records, uh, Chris Curtis in 41 professional matches has a record of 30 wins, 10 losses, one no contest. Uh, that was his last match actually coming in a uh, no contest. Uh, that was an accidental clash of heads mm. uh, against Nasruddin Imavov. Uh, that was at UFC 289 back in June of last year. Prior to that, he lost to Kelvin Gastelum via unanimous decision, uh, beat Joaquin Buckley via knockout, and then lost to Jack Hermanson via unanimous decision. Uh, on the flip side, for his opponent mark andrea barrelt uh 23 professional matches has a record of 16 wins six losses one no contest currently on a two-fight winning streak beating eric anders in his last fight the unanimous decision that was back in june uh and then beating uh julian marquez uh via tko that was back in march of last year his last loss was to anthony hernandez uh via arm triangle choke submission that was Mm. back in september of 2022 Uh, i'm gonna go with you i'm gonna say uh mark andre barrelt yeah i think like i say it's gonna be a Great contest. I could see it going split decision, though. Yeah, I could see that, too. Uh, then we get to the fights we're all here for, because these fights, ooh, they're going to be good. Uh, for next of which is in the welterweight division, where you have Neil Magny taking on Mike uh, Mellot. Well, Magny is very even leveled. Like sure. I say, he's one of the most well-rounded guys they have in that division. Mm-hmm. Not box office, if you will. I mean, I'm looking at the breakdown of his fights. Yeah, there's nothing sexy about it. No, there definitely isn't. So it's like when you sit there and you watch him fight, yeah. you're not going to sit there and and scream like wow factors. Uh-huh. Like He's a great fighter. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But in this situation, I just think that, you know, He's one that he'll he'll go in there and he'll scrap. And mm-hmm. That's all you want to ask. Yeah. Uh, so in 39 professional matches, Magny has a record of 28 wins, 11 losses, currently on a one-fight losing streak. Uh, he lost to Ian Machado-Gary via unanimous decision. That was back in August. Before that, he won a split decision matchup, uh, won a matchup against Philip Rowe by split decision. That was back in June of last year. Lost to Gilbert Vernes via uh, arm triangle choke submission. Uh, but like you said, he's not that sexy of a fighter just because of his 28 wins wins seven or by knockout four by submission and 17 by decision yeah and, and when you look at it you know anything that's not a decision is very spread out because he had a fight against daniel rodriguez in november of 2022 where he won by a submission but then before that you've got to go back back all the way to uh craig white where he knocked him out uh in 2018 in between everything there it's like unanimous decisions yeah, that's the one thing you're gonna you're gonna get out of him. Like he'll he'll go in there. He's very technical, but 
for the wow factor, in my yeah. opinion, it's just not there. Uh, so then his opponent, Mike Mellant, in 12 professional matches, has a record of 10 wins, one loss, and one draw. Currently on a one, two, three, four, five, six fight winning streak, uh, beating Adam Fugit uh, via guillotine choke submission, Johan Lanise uh, via arm triangle choke submission. Both of those were in uh, last year. He beat Mickey Gall via TKO in 2022. Uh, via T, and he knocked him out. Then he beat uh, Shimon uh, Smoltriski with a guillotine choke submission in October of 2021. Submitted uh, Solomon Renfro with a rear naked choke submission in 2020. Knocked out Craig uh, Shintani with, and uh, that was actually, these last two fights weren't even in the UFC. Mm-hmm. They were in separate federations. That's in 2017. Then you get to his one draw, which was back in September of 2015. And then his one loss was all the way back in October 2014 where he got knocked out in the first round of a World Series of Fighting uh, fight in uh, those World Series of Fighting 14. Yeah, I mean, you got to think it's on his side, but I'm going to take Magni in this one. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing just because, like, I'm looking at uh, Mike Malott's record. Like, and it's an impressive record. I mean, you're 10-1-1, one, and one, but there's also some gaps in there. Yeah. Like, the you had the December 2020 fight. Okay, then he didn't fight again until October of the next year. Then he didn't fight till April of the next year. Then he didn't fight till February of the next year. And and prior to the 2020 fight, he hadn't fought in three years. You yeah. know, because it was it was 2017. That's the one point with it. So you got to be a little leery about that. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, I that's why I say Magni. I think it'll just go in there. It's going to be a unanimous decision, but yeah. It's going to be a decision. Then you get to the co-main event of the evening, and this is for the vacant women's bantamweight championship where you've got Raquel Pennington taking on uh, Myra Bueno Silva. Fun fact with this, and I cannot take credit for this. I saw this on the ESPN MMA Facebook page today. Uh, UFC 297, quote, UFC 297 marks the first women's bantamweight title fight without Amanda Nunes since March 5th. 2016 when misha tate defeated holly holm at ufc 196 wow that's talk about dominating a division yeah i was gonna say the aftermath of mandy nunez retiring is gonna be settled here Uh uh-huh raquel pennington i'm hoping Mm -hmm. i am hoping like i'm trying to keep this very impartial i have nothing against her opponent but pennington has had all the tools in the world to do this Mm mm-hmm and for some reason gets in that cage and just doesn't un- like let loose. Yep. And I and I don't I'm, and like I say I wish I had a great answer why. This is just me watching at home. Yeah. Pennington just freezes up and just like is too tentative to just go all out. Like if you're going to get knocked out go, go get knocked out, but she's got so much power in her hands. Right. She should win this. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. So looking at the fighters records 23 professional matches for Raquel Pennington. She has a record of 15 wins, 8 losses, currently on a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 fight win streak. Uh, she beat uh, Catlin Vieira via split decision in her last fight. That was in January of last year. She beat Aspen Ladd via unanimous decision. Uh, that was in April of 2022. Uh, submitted Macy uh, Chieson with a guillotine choke submission in December of 2021. Uh, beat Penny with a unanimous decision that was back in September of 2021 and then beat Marion Renault with a unanimous decision decision back in June of 2020. Last loss was Holly Holm at UFC 246. That was in January of 2020 uh, for her opponent, uh, Myra Bueno Silva, a professional record of four in 14 matches has a record of 10 wins, two losses, one draw, 
won no contest. Uh, that won no contest coming from her last fight against Holly Holm. Uh, it was overturned uh, because uh, she tested positive for Ritalinic acid, mm. whatever the hell that is. Uh, apparently, it's enough to get your uh, fight overturned. Yeah, it's banned by uh, USADA there. Okay. Uh, prior to that, uh, she was on a three-fight winning streak, beating Lena Landsberg with a knee bar submission. That was back in February of last year. Uh, beat Stephanie Egger uh, with an arm bar submission. That was back in April of 2022. Beat Wu uh, Yanan with a unanimous decision. That was back in April of 2022. Uh, last loss was to uh, Menon Ferro. Uh, that was a unanimous decision loss back in October of 2021. The one draw came in uh, February of 2021. A little bit of a mixed bag there. She's got one knockout, seven fucking submissions yeah. uh, in two decisions. Uh, this one, I'm going to say it's Raquel's time. I hope, man. I don't anticipate a long title reign, but I'm expecting her to at least get it once. Get it once at least. Just let the hands fly. Yeah. That's the only thing I want to see. Don't go to the ground. No, don't go. That's the whole thing. She goes to the ground. It's gonna be a short fight. Oh God, she's gonna, it's gonna be a short fight. She has to keep the standing. She has to keep yeah. the pace out. She has to outpoint. She has to let loose the hands. Uh huh. She can knock out Silva. Oh yeah. It's just a matter of she's gonna get out of her head and just like listen. You're gonna have to take some shots to get some shots. Mm-hmm. Just putting it out there. But damn it, I'm gonna say it. All right, make it time. Second round knockout. Yeah. Uh, and then we get to the fight we're all here to see, and this is for the UFC middleweight championship. You've got Sean Strickland defending his belt against Driscus Duplessis. Well, the storyline here is Sean Strickland is a madman. Uh-huh. Uh, listen, I will not mess with him in real life. I think that he he is a guy that, listen, he walks his own path. He beats to his own drum. There's a lot of things to be respectful for that. Absolutely. And Duplessis decided to, uh, as the kids say, uh, mess around and find out. Uh-huh. We saw the highlight reel that he decided to taunt one Strickland at the last uh, UFC card, and Strickland politely said, Gilbert's family, uh, Gilbert Burns' family, please move out of the way, and decided to jump two rows back and start beating the hell out of him. Uh, basically told him GFY. Yeah. Strickland is the one who obviously pulled off a major upset in defeating one Israel Adesanya for the belt. Mm-hmm. And now this is going to be a real test for him. Duplicis is no joke, but I'm going to tell you right now, I think Strickland is going to go in there and he's going to want to end this quick. I yeah. know he does not want to go five rounds about this. Mm-hmm. Duplicis is going to try taking this to the ground. I think Strickland is ready to meet him halfway. Yeah. And then that's when things get interesting. Can Duplessis withstand the strikes? Uh-huh. I don't think he can. In case you haven't gotten, you know, the kind of idea of how fucking nuts Strickland is. Uh, saw this article a couple days ago, and I had to pull it up. Uh, but this is from an article on ESPN.com written by Brett Akimoto. Uh, it was actually written yesterday as we record. Uh, and it says, partway through the article, it says, quote, Speaking on his podcast, The Man Dance, Strickland made it clear he would not tolerate Duplessis broaching that subject uh, again this week. Uh, and just a little sidebar, the, the, the subject being what triggered uh, Strickland to go kind of uh, understandably apeshit in the mm-hmm. last fight. Uh, but the article goes on to say, quote, I actually sent him a message and I was like, listen, Driscus, we're going to try and murder each other. But if you bring that shit up again, I will fucking stab you. Strickland said press conference weigh in. He was cool about it. He was cool about it. But again, I'm not telling you, I don't want to fight you. Driscus. I'm not saying you're not a good fighter. I'm just saying that 
that that's a line when crossed transcends fighting. If I go to Canada and you bring that up, well, guess what? I'm going to jail and they're going to deport me and we spend eight weeks of training for no fucking reason, close quote. Yeah. Strickland is a different cat, folks. Yes, he is. And like I say, you love him or you hate him. Mm -hmm. He is who he is. And this is not a Colby Covington situation. Nope. This is how he is. Nope. And, like, listen, I might not agree with him about everything, but I respect him about everything because he is that guy. I respect him because I know if I don't, he'll kick my ass. Well, the, well, the thing about it is, like, he is who we get. Yeah. That, that, like I said. There's, there's no sugarcoating. There's no BS. There's no character. No, there isn't. Like, he is like this 24-7. Yeah. So there is something to be said about that, that he's the anti-Colby Covington. In fact, he does not even like Colby Covington. Uh, who likes Colby Covington? No, but he made a very, very uh, lengthy comment about oh, Mr. Covington at a, a press conference, which, I mean, earned some points in my book. I'm just yeah. going to put it out there. But as for this fight, I mean, Pat, who you got? Well, yeah, so uh, looking at the records for one, Sean Strickland uh, in 33 professional matches has a record of 28 wins, five losses, uh, 11 wins by knockout, four by submission, 13 by decision. For the losses, it's two by knockout, zero by submission, three by decision. Uh, he's currently on a three-fight winning streak. Uh, beat Israel Adesanya v. unanimous decision in his last fight. That was in September of last year. That was for the UFC Middleweight Championship. Also earned him performance of the night. Uh, prior to that, he beat... Uh, as Puyan Mag- Magomedov uh, via TKO, that was in July of last year. Then he beat Nasruddin Imavov via unanimous decision. That was in January of last year. His last fight was, well, was actually his last two losses, I should say, were to Jared Canyonier. He lost via split decision. That was in December of 2022. Then he lost prior to that to Alex Pereira via knockout. That was in July of 2022. Uh, and then if you want to go before that for his last loss, it was in May of 2018. Uh in a UFC 224 for his opponent, Driscus Duplessis, 22 professional matches has a record of 20 wins, two losses, nine wins by knockout, 10 by submission, one by decision for his losses. It's only one by knockout, one by decision currently on a good fucking God. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight winning streak, uh, knocking out Robert Whitaker in his last fight. That was in July of last year, knocking out Derek Brunson, although that TKO is a corner stoppage, mm-hmm. uh, against Derek Brunson in March of last year. Uh, submitted Darren Till with a face crank. That was in December of 2022. A unanimous decision win against Brad Tavares at UFC 276 in July of 2022. Knocked out Trevin Giles in uh, UFC 264. That was in July of 2021. Knocked out Marcus Perez uh, a fight night in uh, October of 2020. Submitted Brendan uh, Lazar at a um, federation outside of UFC. That was in December of 2019. And then knocked out uh, Jolita Santos and another federation outside of UFC. Uh, that was in September of 2019. Uh, his last loss wasn't even in the UFC. It was in a federation called KSW. <clears throat> it's a martial arts promotion based out of Poland. Uh, that was in uh, October of 2018. Good God. Yeah, like I said, this is going to be fireworks. Uh-huh. I don't think it's going to be an easy night for Strickland, but I think Strickland's no. going to take this one, though. Um, yeah, it's going to be knocked out, Drago. I'm going to say it's going to be a real close decision. Possibly split. I mean, it would make sense to be split. Mm-hmm. I just think that Strickland is just on a different level mentally. Yeah. And the plus is, I mean, it's, you know, you want to say it's his time, but it's like, I don't know. It's something about him. and just, I don't think he's going to be able to pull this one off. Yeah. And then I'm just fingers crossed that eventually we get Strickland Chemayev. Well, maybe. Just for the press conferences. Maybe. 
And then we're not far away from UFC 300. No, especially they just announced one fight for that. There's a couple fights that are announced for that. All right, we can talk about that a little bit. So UFC 300 is taking place on April 13th, 2024 from the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, Some of the fights that are announced for this uh, thus far, lightweight division, you've got Jim Miller taking on Bobby Green. That's going to be a hell of a fight. Especially that could be Jim Miller's last fight. Mm-hmm. And Jim Miller, for fun fact, I believe, fought at UFC 100. He's fought at UFC 200, 200. and now he's fighting at 300. Uh, then you've got, in the bantamweight division, Devison Figueredo taking taking on Cody Garbrandt. And that's a bantamweight, you said? Bantamweight. Good time for Figueredo to step up. I mean, the former flyweight champion always kind of struggled with weight there. That's going to be fireworks, too. Uh, then you've got, at middleweight, Bo Nical taking on Cody Brundage. Ooh, that could be interesting for Bo. I mean, obviously, he's the next big thing in that division. I know he wants to stay active, Mm -hmm. hasn't gone out of the first round, so that'll be a true test for him. Uh, Then you've got in the featherweight division, Calvin Qatar taking on Aljermaine Sterling. Featherweight, okay. Mm -hmm. Well, let's see. That should be something for Mr. Sterling. In the light heavyweight division next up, you've got Jiri Prochaka taking on Alexander Rakic. That's going to be violence. I like I like Puri in that one. Uh, and then in the lightweight division, now this one's got a little uh, note behind, next to it. It says it's a UFC lightweight title eliminator. Uh, it is Charles Oliveira taking on Armin uh, Sarukin. Okay, so the winner of this one is going to get uh, Machev because Machev is not ready yet. Mm-hmm. There's something going on. I believe he's injured. And then in the lightweight division for the symbolic BMF title, you've got Justin Gaethje taking on Max Holloway. Okay, so what they need to start doing for this is take down the cage and just and go, <laughs> and go, go blood sport Kumite. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the only way I will acknowledge this as a BMF title. I want those. You got to if you're going to do those rules, you got to do those rules. Yeah, no, I agree. But Gaethje and Holloway, I mean, good fight for both. Yeah. Um, Gaethje, I mean, unless, like I say, unless he was going to be getting a title shot there against uh, or um, uh, Machev there. Right. Uh, yeah, this is kind of a riskier fight, but right. I mean, obviously, if it's a title eliminator. It's a good fight for him. This will just be a fun scrap. There's one more fight, too, uh, and this is for the UFC Women's Strawweight Championship where you've got Zhang Weili defending her belt against Yan Xiaonan. Oh, that's going to be fun. Uh-huh. That's going to be real fun. I like Zhang in that one, but that's going to be fun. Yep. Those are those are all the fights we know of that are currently announced They're, for UFC 300. It's crazy to think we're at 300 already. I know. It feels like just yesterday we were figuring out uh, the setup and how we were going to do UFC 200. Yeah. Oh, time flies. It does. It flies when you have great commentary to talk about, such as the UFC, and this weekend will be no exception because there is going to be a lot of great fights happening, so definitely hit us up on that hashtag. Hashtag ODPHpod. What, and I mean what is your thoughts about UFC 297, and how do you think UFC 300 is looking? Scary to think. We're almost there. Just need Brock Lesnar added. I'll tell you what. maybe the same company. Maybe now is the time to do Brock and Fedor. Just putting it out oh, there. Oh, Jesus Christ. Just putting it out there, folks. Nine times the charm. Yeah, let's have that discussion, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Tom from Tom Joe Lou. This is Matt from Sideroom Sounds. And you're listening to ODPH Podcast. Wanna go where no one knows my name To the desert, the ocean 
Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got? Got a couple things to talk about. We're going to start with sports and uh, going to start with the local minute. And looking at the standings for the Federal Prospects Hockey League, that is, of course, the league our local Binghamton Black Bears play in. And looking at the Empire Division, because that, of course, is the division our Black Bears play in. Another week, still in first place. Yeah, here we go. Uh, through 27 games played, they have a record of 18 wins in regulation, two losses, uh, six lo- six overtime or shootout losses, uh, no wins in overtime, and then one shootout win overtime. Uh, they have 62 total points. Uh, they are ahead of Motor City, who's in second place with 46. Danbury in third place, who's got 41 points. Watertown in fourth place, who's got 28 points. And then Elmira in last place with 19 points. Got to say, Looking real good this year, just saying. Uh, looking at their uh, schedule from this past week, they had two games last week. Both of them were on the road against the Danbury Hat Tricks. Uh, they had a game on Friday where they lost by the final score of 5-4. to four. Came back Saturday, though, and won by the final score of 4-1. to one. Uh, Got a game, a couple games this weekend. Both of them are at home. For the Friday, January 19th, 7 o'clock Eastern, they are at home against the Danbury Hat Tricks. And then Saturday, June 20th, also at 7 o'clock Eastern, they are at home against the Danbury Hat Tricks. Uh, so for more tickets, information, all that good stuff, you can go to BinghamtonBlackBears.com. And we got a little bit of NBA news to talk about. we got some unfortunate news to pass along because this is just coming out today as we record. Uh, it, the Golden State Warriors announced that their assistant coach, and I'm going to uh, butcher this name, so I apologize, uh, Dayan uh, Milojevic, uh, died after suffering a heart attack uh, at a private team dinner at the age of 46. Uh, the uh, article on ESPN.com says, quote, uh, the Warriors said Milojevic uh, died Wednesday morning in Salt Lake City after being hospitalized the previous night. Quote, we are absolutely devastated by Dejan's uh, sudden passing. Warriors head coach Steve Kerr said as part of a statement, this is a shocking and tragic blow for everyone associated with the Warriors and an incredibly difficult time for his family, friends, and all of us who had the incredible pleasure of to work with him. Close quote. The NBA postponed the Warriors game Wednesday in Utah against the Jazz after learning of Milojevic's hospitalization. Uh, Milojevic joined Kerr's staff with the Warriors in 2021 and was a well-regarded and popular coach in the NBA and international basketball communities. His primary assignment with the Warriors was working with teams, forwards, and centers. As a coach, he led uh, Buknost to the Pro League title and National Cup in Montenegro and the National Cup of Serbia. He also coached Mega in the Serbian League and was closely associated with the early development of two-time NBA MVP Nikola Jokic of the Denver Nuggets, close quote. Uh, very sad news yeah, to hear. Yeah. And, you know, on behalf of our team here, our thoughts and prayers out to his family and friends. I mean, just yeah. devastating news to yeah. hear that. Uh, and then sticking with some NBA news, this one a little confusing. Uh, reading from an article on BleacherReport.com, uh, it sounds like the NBA is looking at making their uh, draft a two-day event as soon as, well, this year. Uh, so the article is written by Scott uh, Polakic. Uh, and the article says, quote, the next NBA draft may last two days instead of the traditional one. Uh, according to Shams Sharnia of The Athletic and Stadium, the league discussed extending the draft an extra day during Wednesday's meeting with general managers. Uh, Sharnia explained the idea has picked up steam in part because team executives believe they could u- better utilize more time for both first and second rounds. Close quote. Uh, the NBA may be, may be looking to emulate the NFL's approach with its draft. The first round is a primetime event on a Thursday. The second and third rounds are on Friday and the fourth through seventh rounds are on Sunday. 
close quote. So not exactly sure why they're doing this, because obviously there are some folks out there who go through and watch every pick for every team in the NBA. And mm. hey, to you, hey, if that's your if that's your cup of coffee, hey, more power to you. Absolutely. Personally, for me, like I'll pay attention to like the first five picks just because that okay, past that it's going to be you know, and I'm not going to know them or remember them until something happens and it gets brought up on Sports Center. Mm-hmm. But why you need to make this thing two days is beyond me. I have no idea. I mean, it's not as like it's the NFL draft, right? I mean, that's the one thing. The second round of the NBA occasionally we have like those superstars kind of emerge from it. I mean, but it's also, it's, it's like comparing apples to oranges. Like like the draft is very different because a lot of times people go to the D league, they go over. Oh yeah. Or they just flame out. Yeah. I mean, so it's not like the N it's not like the NFL. So going two days is kind of puzzling to me. Yeah. I mean, and and plus that's the thing is like, yeah, the NFL draft is a crapshoot major league baseball, even more so. But the NBA is just as much a crapshoot as those guys because the one I can remember was when Johnny Flynn was with Syracuse. Mm-hmm. And he had that six-overtime game against UConn and played the entire time and came out of, you know, declared for the NBA draft that year. And then, he, you know, he got drafted with uh, Minnesota. You know, he got drafted with, to Minnesota and, and then never really went anywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, and it's just that thing, like, you just never know. So that's why, me personally, like, I'll look the next day and I'll see who went where. I'll, I'll browse or I'll see who, like, the Nets took, and I'll see who the the Knicks took because that's when I when I look at the the New York newspapers here at the local stores. You know, that's what I'm going to see on the on the front page or the back page of like the New York Post or something. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just curious who it's, who's going to be who I'm going to be hearing about for you know the next four or five years, whatever. But honestly, past you know the first five, I don't care. Yeah, I mean that's the whole thing. It, it's a different atmosphere than the yeah. NFL draft. So for me, it's like my intentional uh, after the Knicks pick, I'm just kind of like, I'm yeah. out. Yeah. Uh, then I'm going to talk a little bit of entertainment news and uh, the Emmys took place the other night, which, Hey, congratulations to anybody who won. Not trying to take away from what you did, but the fact that better call Saul got nominated 53 times, yeah. which is a record all in, in one. Nothing is a goddamn travesty. Just saying. Yeah, I do not agree with that at all. If you and if you haven't seen Better Call Saul and you have seen Breaking Bad, definitely recommend you watching Better Call Saul because hey, it's it's all completed now. All the seasons are out. Uh, it's fucking phenomenal. It takes, uh, admittedly, the first season takes a little bit of time to get going, but once it gets going, whoa, boy, is it like going with the train with no brakes? It's extremely track. good once it gets rolling. Yes, it does. Uh, then we got to talk a little bit of uh, gaming news because. Boy, this is a take. Uh, so reading from an article on IGN.com, uh, quote, an executive uh, at Assassin's Creed maker Ubisoft has said gamers will need to, quote, get comfortable not owning their games before video game subscriptions truly take off. Speaking to discuss the launch of Ubisoft's new Ubisoft Plus Premium and Ubisoft Plus Classics subscription, Philippe uh, Tremblay, director of subscriptions at Ubisoft, explained to GI.biz what needs to happen before subscription services become a more significant slice of the video game business. Quote, I don't have a crystal ball, but when you look at the different subscription services that are out there, we've had a rapid expansion over the last couple of years, but it's still relatively small compared to other models, Trimbley said. Uh, We're seeing expansion on console as the likes of PlayStation and Xbox bring new people in. On PC, from a Ubisoft perspective, it's uh, it's already been great, but we are looking to reach out more on PC so we see opportunity there. Uh, one of the things we saw is that gamers are used to like a, 
a little bit like DVD, having and owning their games. That's their consumer shift that needs to happen. That's uh, that's the consumer shift that needs to happen. They got comfortable not owning their CD collection or DVD collection. That's the transformation that's been a bit slower to happen in games. As gamers grow comfortable in that aspect, you don't lose your progress. If you resume your game at another time, your progress file is still there. That's not been deleted. You don't lose what you've built in the game or your engagement with the game. So it's about feeling comfortable with not owning your game. I still have two boxes of DVDs. I definitely understand the gamer's perspective with that. But as people embrace that model, they will see that these games will exist, the service will continue, and you'll be able to access them when you feel like that's reassuring. Uh, Streaming is also a thing that works really well with subscription. So you pay when you need it as opposed to paying all the time. Close quote. Hmm. Boy, that's a fucking take. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, I mean, uh, yes, he. I mean, he's not wrong. People did stray away from DVDs and Blu-rays, you know, the last ten years or so. But you're starting to see some people go back to that, just with the how many streaming services there are and the cost of everything, and then not being able to figure out where stuff is. And it's it like prime example the Bond franchise. Mm. Everyone knows I am a big fan of the Bond franchise. Yes. Figuring out what streaming service they are on at any given month is the biggest pain in the ass you would imagine. Because you would think with MGM Studios being owned by Amazon that they'd be on Prime Video. No, there's at least like a half a dozen to a dozen of them on HBO Max. Or Max, sorry. Mm -hmm. Why? Well, Reasons. Reasons. You know, at one point for probably like nine months, there was, a, if you're not familiar, there's a there's a app out there, a streaming service called Pluto TV. You don't need a subscription service to it. You can download it on your phone or your smart TV or your gaming console. And, the, and it's kind of like traditional TV where they've got channels that are catered to certain things, you know, movies and eras and what have you. But you don't need a subscription service. So they had at one point a 24-7 running Bond movie channel, which to me was the fucking greatest channel of all time. I want to watch a Bond movie in any time. Boom. But that's not there anymore, so I can't just turn that on. So now if I want to go watch a Bond movie streaming, i got to figure out what streaming service it's on, which movies are where. But, hey, I don't have to worry about that because I've got the the Bond collection, which is the first one all the way up through uh, Skyfall. Mm -hmm. i I got no time to die on its own. So that's why I have that is because I know figuring out what, streaming service the bond movies are on is an absolute pain in the ass and i and i know some people are with in regards to getting back to games are hesitant with the subscription services because i know playstation last year like halfway through the year jacked up their prices on what it would cost to get in the playstation plus and a bunch of people online talked about getting rid of it some of them actually claimed they went through with it and to, and to sit there and say, oh, the gamers need to get used to not owning their games for subscription. Listen, not everyone has the luxury of having an internet uh, connection that is good enough for these services. That's why some people like having hard disks and what have you to own the games because somebody may live out in the middle of nowhere where they've got enough of a connection to get by, but is it enough to download the 900 gigabyte update for the latest Call of Duty that they got on Xbox, whatever it's called these days, or PlayStation Plus? No. So that's uh, that. I, I don't think physical game sales will ever go away. They might wax and wane a little bit, but 
to say that, oh, gamers need to get used to not owning their games. Stop. Well, I think it's harder to find physical media anywhere now. But that's, that's true. That's See, I think that that's where it should be going, and I think that that's going to be the ultimate thing. But then again, it's like you can go into old record stores, too. I mean, yeah. you know, we have places around us. We can go in and go get old vinyl yeah. and, and go get comics and go get, you know, like not everything needs to be digital. Well, it's, it's like I know it's a slight side note, but it's still connected. You know, everyone was losing their mind. Oh, my God, Best Buy's going to stop selling movies. Yeah. Like, just in our town alone, you know how many places in town still sell movies? You can still go. There's an FYE in town that you can still go get movies. Yeah, so. Mar- uh, Walmart is, still sells movies. Target still sells movies. There's a one. Uh, we got a couple local places in town that still sell movies. Admittedly, it's not always the latest stuff, but they got a hell of a collection. They got collections. They though. got a hell of a collection. So, uh, listen, there's always going to be places to buy this stuff. Yeah. Uh, and sticking with the video game news, it was announced today by the folks over at PlayStation that uh, we're going to be getting a remaster of two. Raider 1 through 3 on the PS4 and PS5. Hmm. So reading from an article on the PlayStation blog, it says, quote, it's been almost 30 years since Lara Croft took her first snowy steps into the mountains of Peru in about 30 days, just about a month, PlayStation players will get to re-experience Lara's, Lara's first three globetrotting adventures with a fresh look and feel in Tomb Raider 1 through 3 remastered on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Uh, and then the, uh, the article goes on to tell how a little bit of how this happened, and it's thanks to uh, Asper, uh, Asper Games. Uh, it was a company out of Austin, Texas in 1998. You know, they helped launch Tomb Raider 2 on the Macintosh computer all the way back when, you know, and, and they're working on uh, the remaster and some of the engineering stuff. You know, so there's this whole awesome uh, article on the PlayStation blog. It's super exciting to see because I never owned the first place uh lara croft game but i remember going to sears of all places uh for those of you that remember sears uh and going to their electronics section because my parents were looking for a tv something electronics and i'm and i remember seeing uh a playstation one demo you can play and i remember playing the playstation one first lara croft game and thinking this looks fucking amazing Mm. This is the greatest thing. I've, oh, my God. This is 3D, and I can turn the camera? What? Yeah. Like, that's nuts. Again, you get the chance to play this again? Looks awesome. Yeah, it, def- it definitely looks very interesting. So. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and then we got to switch over to some movie news because it was announced uh, about a week or so ago. Uh, we still have more Star Trek movies on the way. Uh, so reading from an article on Variety.com, it says, quote, a new Star Trek film is in the works at Paramount with Andor's uh, Toby Haynes on board to direct and Seth Graham Smith penning the script. Variety has confirmed. While plot details are being kept under wraps, the upcoming feature will be an origin story that is set decades before 2009's Star Trek, as well as an an expansion of the Star Trek universe J.J. Abrams' Bad Robot is producing. Meanwhile, the fourth installment of the rebooted Star Trek film series remains in development with the studio describing it as quote, the final chapter, close quote. Uh, in the third film, 2016's Star Trek Beyond, the crew of the USS Enterprise crash lands on a mysterious world after being attacked by the lizard-like dictator Krall, who was played by Idris Elba. Uh, a fourth Star Trek movie starring Chris Pine was announced in July of 2016 with Zachary Quinto, Zoe Zaldana, Carl Urban, John Cho, and Simon Pegg expected to return. Chris Hemsworth, who appeared in the 2009 original, was set to return to the space saga as George Kirk, the father of Captain James T. Kirk, played by Chris Pine. Uh, according to Paramount at the time, Star Trek IV would see Pine's Captain Kirk cross paths with his father, who was a man he never had a chance to meet, but whose legacy has haunted him since the day he was born. Close quote. Uh, during a Paramount Global Investor 
Thursday Day presentation in February of 2022, Abrams announced that a new Star Trek movie would begin shooting by the end of that year with the Pine-led crew. Pine and his co-stars reportedly had no idea Paramount was moving forward with another Star Trek film, which was eventually removed from the studio's film slate in September of that year. Uh, Haynes recently directed six episodes of Star Wars and series Andor, starring Diego Luna as the titular role. He also helmed the Star Trek-inspired episode of Black Mirror, titled Black Mirror, excuse me, titled USS Callister. Uh, Haynes is repped by WME and attorney Peter Nelson. Uh, Chris Graham Smith is best known as the author of the best-selling novel Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln Vampire Hunter. He also wrote and produced 2017's The Lego Batman Movie, close quote. Hmm. Uh, so I'm excited more Star Trek movies. I, listen, I know for as much as, you know, the older crowd might hate the uh, reboot Star Trek movies. They're not that bad. No, the reboots are fine. Yeah. I think for this day and age, I mean, anything that's redone, mm-hmm. as long as it's done tastefully and respectfully, yeah. it, it's it's okay. And especially the Star Trek, it needs a little shot in the arm, in my opinion. Yeah. It's kind of falling behind Star Wars. Just saying. A little bit. A little bit. So let's get into some comic talk, mm-hmm. and because obviously it's new comic book day, so let's get your picks and uh, take us on home here. Uh, yeah, so got to mention uh, first a couple things. First of which, from DC, Justice League versus Godzilla versus Kong, issue number four. Uh, this one, boy, if you haven't seen the headlines about this, I'm not going to spoil it. Yeah, big news coming out of that book. Uh, but the description reads, quote, The Justice League's losses are mounting as they battle toward uh, battle to contain the Titans from Legendary's MonsterVerse. Aquaman and Atlantis confront an otherworldly Leviathan, while in the shadows, the Legion of Doom and Lex Luthor plot their next decisive move to eliminate the League. But the emergence of the League of Shadows could spell doom for the world, close quote. Yeah, this series has been phenomenal. If you haven't checked it out, you want just big box office, uh-huh. this is your book. Uh, then from the folks over at DC, Nightwing issue 110. For no other reason than, yes, Tom Taylor is still writing, but the fucking cover art alone. Yeah, the cover art is amazing. Cover art is incredible. Uh, but the description of this says, Nightwing, Batgirl, and the Titans are doing all they can to save a world overrun by beasts. Heroes have become threats, and one of the biggest threats now stalks the streets of Bloodhaven, where once there was a Robin, now there is a cat. Can John Kent and Nightwing save the city from Damian Wayne? Or will the Super Sons be torn apart forever? This is a wild story uh, coming out of, the, obviously, what's going on with Beast World. It's Tom Taylor. What can you say? Like, I need this cover art. But that framed. cover is amazing. Oh, my God. Looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, and then from the folks over at DC, issue number 10 of Superman from Joshua Williamson. Description of this one, quote, Howdy, partners. Uh, welcome to the wild west of Metropolis, where the man of tomorrow meets the man from yesterday. Clark is on a rootin' tootin' rodeo adventure along with the ghostly Marilyn Moonlight as they get to the bottom of why she haunts the night. Get your posse and join us for a hoedown like you've never seen before. Yeehaw! Close quote. This has been a fun story. <laughs> the cover art on this is also amazing. Yeah, Bruno Redondo, who's stepping in for art duties, uh, really knocking it out of the park. Uh, interesting ending to this story too, by the way. There's also a panel in this book that is quite possibly the funniest panel I've seen in a Superman comic. Yeah, I have to agree. It's up there. In years. It's up there. Uh, then from the folks over at Marvel, you've got Avengers Twilight issue number one from Chip Zdarsky. Uh, cover art is also phenomenal. All the cover art this week is phenomenal. This yeah. one, for, especially because it's Alex Ross. Uh, but this one reads, quote, in a gleaming new world of prosperity, Captain America is no more. But Steve Rogers still exists, floating through an America where freedom is an illusion, where the Avengers are strangers and his friends are long dead. But is the dream? Uh, 
how do you assemble Avengers in a world that doesn't want them? Plus a behind the scenes look at making at the making of this issue. Yeah, no, this has been one that they hyped up at New York Comic Con. And very interested to see what the fans think of this one. Uh-huh. Then you've got Invincible Iron Man, issue number 14 from Gary Dugan. Listen, I was not the biggest uh, Iron Man comic fan. And then I decided to start reading the Iron Man comic on uh, Marvel Unlimited or whatever it's called. Yeah. Fucking amazing work. This is like this is this is up there for like Nightwing Tom Taylor levels for me of how okay. of how good this is. Uh, so the description of this reads: Tony Stark needs more than just armor to defeat uh, Orcus. He needs an army. Can Ironheart build one in time? Who will answer the call? Yeah, this one. A lot of things happening. Obviously, the fall of X going down. The cover uh-huh. looks insane. Oh yeah. So definitely want to make sure to check that one out. Uh, then you've got Amazing Spider-Man issue number 42 from Zeb Wells. Yo. Uh, this one says, Gang War continues. The Beatle has stepped up in her father's absence, and she's become a very different uh, Janice Lincoln. She's smart, dangerous, and ready to take the big chair. With Spider-Man and others distracted by Kingpin, she just might do it. This has been an interesting story. I will say it's been a lot better than the current issues of Amazing Spider-Man has been. Like, Gang War has really kind of injected new life Uh into the the title, or the flagship title. The ending to this one, though, uh, listen, if you can't get excited about what's happening next, I don't know what you can do. Uh, This cover looks nuts, especially just of uh, uh, who the Beatle is holding. Yeah. Tombstone unconscious like that. With his mouth bleeding profusely. Yeah. Oh, boy. It's wild. Uh, then from the folks also also at Marvel, you've got Star Wars, The High Republic, Phase 3, uh, issue number 3 from Kevin Scott. Uh, quote, the taking of the uh, at- Ataraxia, uh, mm-hmm. Lorna D's treachery has been revealed, but can she escape as the Republic Defense Coalition combines forces with an unlikely ally? Jedi Master Keeve Trennis must board a ship she thought was lost. But is anyone prepared for the extent of Lorna's ruthlessness? Innocent lives hang in the balance as Keeve makes a monumental decision. Close quote. I'll be honest, I did not see this coming because it's been a hot minute since I've thought of Lorna D uh, and the whole Star Wars High Republic storyline, but I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah, it's High Republic. I High mean, Republic can't go wrong. Yeah. And last but certainly not least, from uh, folks over at Dynamite Comics, James Bond uh, with Garth Ennis writing. That's going to be something. <laughs> so the description of this is, quote, a relic of the Cold War. The deadly compound St- Stalvoda has a long buried connection with MI6. So when it mysteriously reappears in disturbing circumstances, the agency naturally assigns its best operative to get to the bottom of things. 007 himself, James Bond. But Bond isn't the only one to have carried the 00 rank. With its MI6's secrets, former agent Archibald Tyron is another. And he's also carrying a grudge, one that's aimed squarely at the heart of His Majesty's Secret Service. Legendary comics Arthur Garth Ennis joins Arthur Rafa Labosco and cover artist Dave Johnson to bring you part one of Your Cold, Cold Heart, marking the 10-year anniversary of James Bond comics being published at Dynamite. Close quote. Well, I know you're all over that one, Pat. Absolutely. Goddamn Lutely. Yeah, I see. The James Bond stuff has been very, very interesting at Dynamite, so definitely oh, yeah. give them a shout-out for that. Uh, for my picks this week, it's a big Skybound G.I. Joe weekend. All right. So, obviously, G.I. Joe 303, continuing the story, Larry Hama's on the uh, writing it, so you know that's always going to be something I check out. And then one of the most anticipated books of the of the year, actually, in my opinion, Cobra Commander Number 1, mm-hmm. Joshua Williamson, Andrea Milena. So this is like the origin story of Cobra Commander oh. and how they've been doing everything with the Energon universe. 
we've had the Duke series, which is kind of introducing Duke to this new landscape, right? Spiraling out of Transformers, so this is kind of where Cobra Commander starts fitting in. There are some big, big ramifications from this one. Okay. So if you really like what you've seen at Skybound with the Energon Universe, you definitely want to go pick it up. It's a very dope issue. I really enjoyed reading it. And it's Joshua Williamson. I mean, he's crushing it right now. And this is one that you can definitely tell like how much he's enjoying with it. Mm-hmm. So definitely want to say that one. On the DC side of things, Batman Superman World's Finest 23. Uh-huh. Need I say more? It's 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 no. I mean, it's Mark, Mark Wade, Dan Mora in the world of Kingdom Come, and we're, <laughs> oh shit! Yeah, like I say, we're getting near to the end issue of that story arc, uh-huh. and let's just say that boy, they're going places. We have a character that is coming in that wasn't in Kingdom Come, but uh, let's just say he is got something to say about life and anti life, if you will. Uh oh. Yeah. I pick up what you're dropping there. Yeah. So, oh, boy. So you definitely want to make sure you're checking that out. I mean, it's arguably up there as one of the best superhero books on the block, bar none. Uh, Image Comics also had a strong week, too. Enfield Gang Massacre number six is out. So if you've been following that storyline, a lot of people have been buzzing about that. Dark Horse, uh, Black Hammer, The End, number five. So that series has been definitely one that has been gaining a little ground, if you will. And there's so many other series out right now. That's why we have a lot of reviews up currently at nerdinitiative.com. So you want to go find out what to go pick up this week at the comic shops, definitely head on over there. The team's got you covered on every and every major publisher going on right now. Big week of comics, and then next mm-hmm. week is going to be even more insane uh, because a certain imprint is finally making their big debut. Ooh. And they're good friends of the show. So uh, we'll have to kind of talk about that on next week's edition. So as we like to end the entertainment edition, always make sure you're going out and support your local comic shops wherever you're at. And definitely, if you got a great issue in your hand, hand it off to somebody struggling and tell them to turn a page. Borrowing from the uh, YouTube show for that one. And we'll just say for anything and everything, this is the ODPH. You can find it at odphpodcast.com. That's it for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Fuck the Astros. I'm your host, Ken M. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast. We'll see you next time. Such wasted time Swiping left and swiping right On people you could know Cause anyone who's worth a damn Be worth way more than a picture could ever show You can find the right light Find the right angle And never find your soul And it can feel like a losing battle And this plot is full of holes This modern way of finding love Just makes me feel so alone And I can't be the only one Sick of staring at my phone So look up Talk to me A better way to spend our energy Just look up Talk to me time fable everyone has just one true love all i know is you're across this table and you're all i'm thinking of so look up 
Whoa, oh, oh, oh. 